Ta-da! So now we're now you you can't say anything about anybody now uh, because uh. we're live. So as I say every time, we're gonna wait until people are like, "Hey, we see you and we hear you," and then right. uh, once they start saying yes, good. Oh yeah, can you guys hear us? Personally, I blame the squirrels. John writes that in every one of my videos. All good. Can you guys hear Bradley? Hello? Is Brad from Savage Fabrication? Yes, sir. Mucho good. Yep. Yeah, everybody can hear everything. So, well, uh, I guess I'll, I'll introduce you and then you can introduce yourself better than me. But this is uh, Bradley from... You want, like, Brad or Bradley, or you don't care? I don't care. <laughs> Savage Fabrication yeah. and Diesel, should I say? You do a lot of Diesel stuff? Um, yeah, mainly we our main focus is in the Diesel aftermarket, because there's a big hole there. There's a lot of opportunity to, to make parts to help other people out. And then the other one is, uh, where are you guys located, just for fun? Central California, dead center. Oh, wow. So, yeah. In the in a, in the valley, and then if you want to go ahead and explain, like summarize what you do and how long you've done it. Uh, well, mainly welding and fabrication. Been doing that. Oh, got out of high school, two thousand nine. Went to school for chemical engineering. Um, I'm terrible at English, so I finished all the math and and science side of things, but couldn't get the past the English courses. So switched over to welding, blueprint reading, and structural work. From there, got my certs and got in, in a local job shop, learned agricultural fabrication and repair there. So heavy ag work, you know, the big uh, D9s, D11s with the big, you know, nine foot shank rippers and big mobile grinders where they grind up stuff for all the animals and everything. Um, those are fun. And then you don't really get paid a whole lot at a job shop. So uh, a local place started making pleasure offshore fishing boats. So they're not for commercial use. They're just big offshore fishing boats for people that have a lot of money, mainly farmers <laughs> in the area. Uh, so that's where I learned my stainless and aluminum work was building all the fancy railings and trim pieces and dash panels, fuel tanks. We even did call it a gyro mount. They got these big gyros that spin down in the bottom of these things real fast and they balance the boat out so it stays on stays flat as it's going across the waves the boat will actually hardly rock at all huh i never knew that i always wondered why some are more stable than others but that makes sense to have a giant weighted gyroscope mm -hmm. in there. yeah yeah so this one was probably maybe the size of the year fireplace back there but they got in the big uh, container ships they have full rooms that are these giant gyros for those things. Um, the owner of that place stopped paying all the employees. So <laughs> that went out of business, and I used what I learned there to start doing just general uh, mobile fabrication work. <laughs> he just kept opening the doors and just stopped paying everybody yeah. or what? Yeah, yeah. Everybody, no one was getting paychecks, and only certain people were getting paychecks. So strange. Um, That's the yeah, first so time I got, heard of that. But Yeah, he just kind of like disappeared out of nowhere, so we kind of repoed a lot of our stuff and moved on uh, but I had all this I had all this tooling and, and just a, a basic skill base to do fabrication and repair so I started doing that and on the side we were working on diesel trucks just repair head gaskets um, upgrade parts good old six systems. liters 
Yeah, actually, well, we never got to work on the power strokes too much, but I do have a friend that moved out of state finally, um, but he literally, bread and butter, he has done everything with power stroke motors. So he serviced fleets and was he was never out of money. <laughs> so you just carried uh, from, over all those skills and uh, starting your own fabrication? Yep. Yes, sir. Uh, from there, we started just kind of fixing turbochargers every so often we get to repair them um that turned into doing it more often starting to play with them quite a bit and after thinking that i could build them actually early on it was probably about six seven years ago started building like our own turbochargers kind of upgrades for people and i thought that more air equaled more power and by more air i meant more compressor wheel so we were leaving the turbine sides alone and just putting big old compressors in these turbochargers and it was just cranking EGTs up and making them smoke more, but I didn't know any better. Um, probably three to four years after that is when I figured out that more bigger compressor doesn't mean more air. It means more capacity on the compressor side and where we actually need to look is the turbine side. And that's where we started getting into doing turbine upgrades. Um, there's a turbocharger that whole set made that has a really cool internal gate design that you only see on the ETR and EFR turbos from Morgan Garrett. And we could get access to this thing for 300 bucks because you can get them off of wrecked trucks or people that upgrade. And that had upgrades. So we would take that, retrofit it backwards onto these old trucks, but that was still kind of expensive. You have to buy a turbo, upgrade the turbo, and then pay us to fabricate the turbo to your setup. Uh, one of the days I was looking at one and I was like, we could probably machine this thing to fit an older turbocharger. Um, and one of my friends was like, go for it. So we did. Um, and from there, that was the beginning of called the HX Super 9, which is, I call it the superhero turbo, because every turbo needs a superhero. <laughs> and that thing's been great for us for the last two years. We can't keep them on the shelf. So it's similar to like a disco potato of, of diesels? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a turbocharger that's built out of three different turbos. Huh. And uh, is it like it, a uh, one of those one-size-fits-all that's good for almost everybody, so that's why it's popular? Yeah, and um, it's, we got, we did something that can out, that spools faster than everything else out there, not intentionally. I just had a grudge against S300 turbos because on turbo diesels, mainly the inline-six motors, they're not that great of a turbocharger. Um, I wanted one for probably 12 years. I finally got my hands on one. I got it and got out my truck, did everything that I that the internet says I should do, and it was terrible. You know, everybody's like, I could drive, you drive around it, you drive around it. And I was like, oh, guess if, if, mo you know, if everybody's tolerating this, one person eventually has to not tolerate it and say there's got to be something better. And that's kind of where we started cutting turbos up and sticking different parts together and created what we got now. So it spools faster, it has better EGT control, and will make more power than any of those those models will. Oh, is it uh how is the uh the cost on that? Is it the same or better than like comparable upgrades? Um yeah, where you run it depends on where you get like a gated S three hundred from. But for the turbo diesel, a like a fully machined S three hundred with an internal gate usually will run between fourteen hundred to sixteen hundred. Um, and we're right at Twelve to thirteen hundred, depending on kind of what you want. Well, that's good. Well, the other uh, 
That was quite the lead up there. I'm like, man, yep. did I ask questions already? <laughs> There's so much info. Uh, well, the other ones I like to ask are Sloppy Mechanics questions, and then we go right to viewer stuff. So how did you first hear of Sloppy Mechanics? Um, probably my friend Spencer Turner. Um, he has a 5.3 Chevy, and he's like, you got to listen to this. When you're on Power and Speed, he's like, you got to listen to this episode of Panel of And he's always bugging me all the time. He's like, dude, I was like, he's like, he's like we got to put turbos on my truck because it's, it's cheap and it's easy. And I was just like, oh, you're killing me. He's like, you're going to, like, he has a 4060. He's like, you're going to burn that thing up. Oh, yeah, in the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was like, you're going to burn it up. It's going to, you know, your fuel mileage is going to, it's going to do, it's going to be, it'll be fun, but it's going to do everything probably that for a daily drive around truck is not going to kind of be what you want it to do. Um, plus, we got smog in California and all that fun stuff. So, Oh, yeah. Disaster. Taking it off on and off every year is going to suck. And I was like, but he's always hyped you up, like, over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Um, Poor guy. And then, yeah. <laughs> um, but finally, uh, I was watching, you're, you just started doing the live stuff, and you had, the big one was you had Joe Simpson on, and I'm, I've been following Joe Simpson for a while, big huh. fan of his fab work um so I was like, i'm gonna listen in on this and i like that he has the hub dinos you know hub dinos are cool so i listened to what he had to say about fabrication and, and dinoing and stuff like that how he handles his business was really interesting and from there i've been kind of watching the lives every time so that's but i heard we were talking smack on diesels and you're like i can answer this uh-huh yeah well i've been doing that to everybody holdner um you and uh some of the other live ones they kind of Sometimes they'll bring up diesels, which is warranted, you know, uh, the coal rollers, the O-rollers, as we like to call them. <laughs> um, but I was like, hey, we can, you know, I can tell you kind of why it does it and how to correct it. And also, a lot of the SI spark ignition guys kind of think that diesels are slow. Um, but what is happening right now is they're actually going a lot faster than what a lot of people think. They're actually... There's three main ones, pro uh, pro mod diesels, that have already set a crap load of rules. And like, ex I just talked to another guy, uh, Cole Stang on Instagram. Um, oh, I know who he's that more, is. Mm -hmm, yeah, and he's more into the racing stuff, uh, X275 and all these things. Like, there's all these rules for diesels and weight limits. I was like, yeah, but there's only three pro mod diesels that are actually competitively fast, and they've already have a ton of rules for them. So they're already trying to kind of put. I wouldn't say a, a, a kibosh on it, but they are making it probably more difficult than it needs to be. But the no, um, the no mercy and no prep guys are really throwing a fit over the four by four pro mods. Um, you know, they get a lot. They're more consistent on traction, and they can yeah. run a five five eighth. You know, a five five eighth to a five oh eighth, no problem. So they allowed to run four like Mickey pros. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's a little bit of a game changer there. <laughs> Well, they, I mean, they used to be dirty, slow, and they never, the 60 foot in the diesel world has always kind of been a problem. But with recent understanding and technology that's out there, the 60, I mean, the 60 foots on a lot of these four wheel drive trucks are getting down in the, on a prep track, they're probably getting into the 120 area, 120 to 140. And then on a non prep, you know, they could pull a 160 on, on a no prep, 2 160, 60 foot. That's really good, obviously, for <laughs> no prep. Yeah. And they're not having, they're just consistent. You know, if you were to look at it from a consistency factor, horsepower versus consistency, a lot of times when it's no prep racing, consistency wins. Yeah, you just have to not blitz them and, bat, you know, smack into the other person for no mm -hmm. prep racing. Yeah. Yep. All right. And then uh, 
we'll go into the questions here. We got a we got a lot of them actually. So, what what turbo do I need for my stuff? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it says. Uh, uh, what do I want to ask first? I'd like to ask him his opinion on modern diesel trucks, specifically tuning with emissions intact or deleting. EPA crackdowns seem to have more people offering and requesting emissions intact tunes, but what are the pros and cons for emissions and deleting and everything else? Um, the, the cons are uh, the EPA. <laughs> <laughs> um the pros like there's there's i mean it's i would say it's kind of the same thing as looking at uh you know anything that anybody else builds even spark emission wise you know they're not they're not making i said it's not commonplace at least to see thousand horsepower stuff that's emissions intact that a regular person can build um you know to to put a full emission system that would support a thousand wheel horsepower on a spark emission engine for the normal person's probably out of the price range and it's it's similar for the, the diesel world. That stuff is, it's really band-aided real bad. Um, the problem is kind of the diesel fuel itself. To get the diesel to make less soot, it'll produce more NOx. If you want to produce less NOx, it'll make more soot. So it turns into uh, what do you want the after-treatment system to take care of primarily? Um, usually NOx is easier to take care of than soot. Uh, it doesn't plug up, you know, NOx Again, you know, knocks the gas doesn't plug up filters like soot does. Uh, so it's and also, it doesn't scare people. So even if it's yeah, burning clean, yeah. but it blows smoke, people are not about it. it doesn't care. They don't care if the tailpipe mm -hmm. is clean. If it's if it's sooting, then it's the most dirty thing in the world. So yeah. Well, I mean, I was just talking to a friend about the other day about like you know meth. You'll see this on. I mean, I actually heard someone else talking about too. Methanol cars when they start to get real rich will actually produce. Um, enough acetylene particles that you see. So that's what it is. It's acetylene particles. So if you ever, a lot of us are familiar with a, um, a cutting torch. So if you start your cutting torch up with low oxygen, oh, it tends to yeah, yep. soot particles. So diesel floaties every. All of a sudden, the room has got those floaties everywhere. I'm familiar with that. Yep, same thing. So on a diesel creates a much larger acetylene soot particle where with a homogeneous gasoline setup, you have nano acetylene particles and then the same I was looking into it the other day just to try and keep my facts straight a direct injected gasoline also creates um, a greater amount of these nanoparticles um, so you see it with methanol once you get enough fuel in there to where you get enough rich zones in that combustion chamber so if it's running really rich off the head on the line and stuff like that you'll see that brown plume and that's actually the same thing that comes out of the diesel trucks it's just a lot finer and what comes out it is flammable i mean on the methanol car probably not uh, but on a diesel if the smoke is thick enough you can take a blowtorch to it and it will catch on fire was that like i call it the the chimney mode some diesels just have fire coming out of the stack yeah so that's called uh the candle we call it lighting the candle and you can use the, the candle to tune um, that can kind of give you an idea of where the combustion events occurring so is it super late uh, similar to like an anti-lag, it's like negative amount and it's burning past the valve and everything else? Uh, correct. Yeah, it's just it's a lot of heat still. Um, get into like diesel's fuel burn speed is extremely slow. So when the injection timing is either too late or the fuel quantity injected is so big that it takes too long for the fuel quantity to pull heat out of the compression event to light off. So then it lights off late. 
um, you'll get the the flame out. So if you ever watch them like super stock tractors and the pro modified tractors and truck pulling, usually on the line when they're bringing the RPMs up, you'll actually start to see a cone. And then once the RPMs come up enough and the boost comes up, so cylinder temperature's right and compression speed, so it creates cylinder heat as well as right, that cone will go away. And then if, and if it stays, they'll usually put more timing in it. Huh. Yeah, so you'll see the cone, you'll see the cone come up and then it's kind of when they're lighting everything up because everything's cold. We're putting, they're dumping a lot of fuel in um, but they don't got a lot of boost pressure yet or piston speed to create uh, compression heat. So you'll, a lot of times you'll get that cone and then once they get the full fuel, the cone will go out. Hmm. If, you have a, if you have a cone on a diesel truck at wide open throttle, um, you're probably gonna melt something. <laughs> that's awesome. Unless it's, unless it's nitrous, yeah, unless it's nitrous fed, that's a kind of a whole other little deal, but. Oh, okay. You get. Uh, what is. So uh, to, I guess we can answer that one uh, to finish it up though too real quick is um, the way that they're doing emissions on the diesels is still not in their favor just because they create these large soot particles. Um, what they're doing right now is they're putting a, at least for the Cummins engines, they have a throttle blade in because we don't create vacuum with most diesels. So the way they're creating vacuum with a turbo diesel is they're putting a throttle blade in there. So they can, one, can they can create a vacuum on the intake side to pull EGR out of the exhaust because our turbos, drive tends to be below boost. So if drive's below boost, you're not gonna really get EGR into the intake side. Um, so what they're using is a throttle blade to to create a vacuum on, or at least try to balance the pressures out so they can pull EGR out of the exhaust side in. And they're using that for two things. One, it preheat the inlet air temperature. Um, this helps with emissions. It doesn't help with performance typically, but it does help with emissions. And then two, they can control how much CO2 is going back into the chamber. And you can use CO2 to control the flame propagation speed or the burn speed of the flame in the cylinder, and you can control NOx and soot formation that way as well. If it's huh. too fast, you create NOx and less soot, and if it's too slow, you create less NOx and more soot. Same thing. Uh, my buddy Cameron asked the question, he goes, what do you think about a compound for a truck uh, used just for normal towing? He has a 2004 Ram 3500. Would it give some more grunt when it's locked up in overdrive going up hills? Also, is it necessary to intercool between chargers or just after the second one? Uh, so, um, intercooling between stages really isn't extremely necessary for the everyday person. You'll still get the, a density ratio number that would be, say, above the single turbo would be. Um, kind of what happens with, com I've kind of like, I tell people with compounds, there's only two reasons to have them. One, you have such a big turbocharger that you need a small one to get it lit. Uh, or three. Two, the amount of pressure you need because you're limited, limited on engine RPM. Um, if, so if you are limited on engine RPM because of your class or whatever, and the only way to get the, the density ratio up because you can't run more engine speed, and more boost pressure. So it's eventually gonna to get to a point where a single is not gonna survive at you know, 90 pounds of boost sustained. And then the next thing would be for towing. If you're in a condition where the engine speed is so low or at a condition where all the boost you get with the single, so if you only get 20 pounds of boost and you want 40 pounds of boost, there's no magic turbo, like single turbo, that's just gonna give you more pressure without costing you in engine RPM. So like the choke point, if we were, 
look at it like a cylinder head flow choke point. So you have to make the turbo so small to make multiples because it solves Mm -hmm. all those issues. Yeah, yeah. So you can put compounds on, and then you'll you get. I call it getting like a little bit under two one because you're using one part exhaust to get two whirly boys to go. You know, instead of um, trying to use one part exhaust for one one charger, and then trying to use you got to basically increase the heat energy through fuel injection to get more boost out of it. Where if you put two turbos on, you'll get exhaust that goes through one, gets wasted, and then it'll get gone through the next one and. Um, it'll spin it up, and as long as you size them right, you'll do okay. Uh, we try to get, uh, you know, if you had 40 pounds of boost on the manifold, then we'd probably be wanting around 30, 40 pounds of boost out of called the atmospheric. We want to try and keep them ratioed uh, together to where they're working well. One thing that if you do calculate compounds, the density ratio you get after you calculate everything out, you get a lot more bang for your buck if you can get more pressure out of the atmosphere, the big guy, than out of the manifold unit. Cold is working off a new atmosphere. So if you calculate what it thinks it's doing with the new atmosphere, it's actually a lot less than what a lot of people say. And this took a long time for me to figure out, is that say if you had 30 pounds of boost from the big turbo, and then you had um, 30 pounds of boost from the small turbo, so you got 60 pounds of boost on the gauge. A lot of people would say that they're working equally hard. And in reality, they aren't. The pressure ratios, even though one's 30 and one's 30 getting 60, they aren't the same pressure ratio. They're actually different. Oh, that is weird. The other, so, so I guess what he's getting at then, aside from uh, twins, triple turbos, etc., is how would, he has a, it has stock turbo and everything. It just has a tune in it mm-hmm. or whatever else. Uh, I'm assuming he's like, how do I get better bottom end or towing power on hills and whatnot and not just like a drag race turbo? And is there a direct swap on that's better than stock but doesn't, you know, kind of like a Goldilocks turbo for a stock style Cummins? Um, yeah, so we we build one for those trucks. Then the big thing is I kind of like the truck to maybe dyno around probably 390 to 420 wheel before going to this charger. But what happens is we actually tend to lose a little bit of boost at a cruising state or I say a loaded state, but we'll pick up enough engine volumetric efficiency by bumping up the turbine side that will actually gain torque output. Um, so oh, it's so like a balance. Bottom end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a, it's a really fine line. Like I call it walking a tightrope versus it losing both too much or it might not gain enough VE for the amount of uh, (laughs) boost lost and uh, we got to balance those two out so we kind of look at it from a horsepower standpoint and engine RPM and then other thing too I would ask is are your expectations realistic of what the turbocharger can do some people that I talk to they want more boost at 1500 RPMs and that's kind of an unrealistic number without going to compounds and then the next thing that'll happen is they'll take out the head gasket and transmissions and clutches and all kinds of other stuff get really expensive really fast because you're starting to build a lot of cylinder pressure down there so a lot of times uh, yeah well some of the times is we'll just tell them hey instead of trying to pull the grade at 1500 downshift and lock it up and pull it at 18 to 2200 um, if they're already doing that but they don't have EGT issues, then we'll just tell them to put more fuel in. Put fuel in until you have an EGT issue, because it'll start to gain an EGT before it'll smoke. Huh. Um, and then if they're at the point where there is an EGT issue, that's where we start looking at, at turbochargers. 
Oh, okay. So maybe just a custom tune would make the world a difference mm-hmm. for that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then there's other bro. I like how you said manage expectations because that's what I always say to people: realistic goals and managed expectations. I say that like mm-hmm. every time uh, I'm going to tune stuff, but that's probably most important. People are missing that. So yeah, it makes sense. Where uh... also there's just diesel bros that are like, I want 100 pounds on my boost gauge. I don't care about anything. I want my boost gauge to wrap around because it doesn't matter how fast, slow, or if it burns things. I just want to. Uh, I want a compressor gauge that pins. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why I was watching that video. Uh, someone went drag racing for the first time with one of our turbochargers, and uh, it, for their very first time on the track with a with a diesel setup that they don't really understand, they did a uh, they did an okay pass. Definitely a lot of tuning. It needs more fuel. It needs a lot of things. But they got back, and they're like. Uh, we found out that it had a it had a pretty good boost leak in it, but the gauge was still pinned. And as a turbo builder, that makes you cringe because if you have a boost leak, depending on how bad it is, yeah, for the turbo to overcompensate for that is a uh, you know um, Holdner says uh, what is it uh, mechanical sympathy. So that's what exactly. I kind of have, like mechanical s- sympathy for my turbochargers that we build. I'm like, man, if you have a boost leak, this thing might be doing, you know, 160, 190,000 RPMs, and you're getting really close to the point where it just tears the X-Ducer apart. Well, that's why more and more I've seen more and more turbos are having a speed sensor. Like the a lot of the VS mm-hmm. turbos have the speed sensor eyeball, and then I know uh, people are building in safeties too, like boost pressure versus speed. And if it's out of control, mm-hmm. it just it limps stuff or it turns off the... A lot of those people are running like CO2 boost control. It'll just revert to gate and turn it off and everything else. Yep. I'd love to look at data like that. I don't get to look at uh, EGT or I just started looking at coolant pressure and uh, exhaust pressure and a bunch of other stuff this last year. Just trying to learn more about it. Obviously, I, I, I hit a point where I know enough about what I have, and now I want to know more. I want to fill my brain with other stupid things. So mm-hmm. I'd love to yeah, look at something. I was something. just talking to it. Oh, go. Oh, sorry. No, no. Yeah, oh, I, I, I talk- will talk too much, so <laughs> it's your turn. I was just talking to a customer today. Um, it was the same thing. They kind of asked if, if uh, like, because I said something, they're like, yeah, you like it how, like, Gail Banks does it. And I was like, well, there's something not yeah, being rude. Is uh, There's some things that Gail Banks has said that aren't correct. And there's a lot of things that he said that are correct. And there's, and that happens with a lot of people. So I kind of like to be the, I try to be the person that kind of sits back, reads every paper I can, reads every book I can, um, listens to every podcast and YouTube video that I can. And I pull out things that I find line up with what I either see on the street or on the dyno that make things make sense that I can either do the math equations for, and it adds up to what we see on the dyno, or I can do the math equations and repeat it. And a lot of the times I'll do them and be like, I got it. And, uh, maybe a week or two later or a month later, something will happen and be like, no, that's wrong. Yeah. And to be able to say that you were wrong and then go look for the next answer as to why you were wrong is something that, uh, I think has helped us do really well in this, in this market. Of course. That's what, uh, I love, uh, I love being proved wrong and learning stuff. So, mm-hmm. and there's, there's plenty of times, I think when I have a bunch of tuners on, I'm going to ask them, like uh, a possibly dangerous question is what did you used to do before that you learned is wrong and you don't do anymore? Or when was your last failure? And I know uh, a bunch of people might be like, I've never had a failure or I'm perfect. And that's, those are the people, you know, that are full of shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I tell people, 
I always tell people I've done everything, or I've done not, I shouldn't say I've done everything wrong, but most of the data that we have is because I personally did it wrong. And I had to figure out why it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And it usually comes full circle that I made an incorrect uh, component purchase based off of something that was popular on the internet, but wasn't actually what would actually happen on the chassis dyno or, or down the track. Yeah, similar to where uh for a while people are like you're dumb you should do this and i go okay i called it internet week in my other video and i'm like what should i do you're all experts what should i do and i do it and be like nope you are clueless as me so let's go to the next person and i would just mm -hmm. break stuff until uh one of us figured it out but i gave everybody the opportunity to tell me exactly what to do there's a good one what did i have i i had a question come in and then fleeting immediately so maybe i'll think of it later Something got brought up in my head. All right, well, we'll ask another question. I'll see if I can bring it back. Uh, this is something I want to know for sure, and I think I know the answer to. Oh, I know. I'm going to write it down then. Uh, there's a YouTube channel I want to ask about diesels. I just wrote it down here. Uh, Joey says, are there any standalone diesel tuning options on the market? So this is where um, there's a big... Uh, a big problem is that there is only one that I that I know personally. There is only one standalone controller currently available, and it's made by Bosch, and it runs you right around. I think just for the controller and harness. I don't know how much else it comes with. Is like ten to twelve grand. So there's a. It makes it very hard right now for people to get into this. So you know the most what most people are doing is they just pull the harness and ECMs out of the wrecked vehicle, and then they swap the engine in and they use a current um, tuner like EFI Live, HP tuner, stuff like that to control the factory ECU. But there is currently no offerings that I know of other than Bosch, and that's pretty it's pretty spendy. Is it really nice? Yeah, it's like MoTeC for diesels. I was like, but I've been talking to some people. I'm like, there's a huge market if anybody wants to get into it for standalone stuff. For the diesels, I don't know if the EPA gets in the way of this occurring um, rules and such with diesel engines, but there's a big market there. Yeah, they're making it harder to flag things as off-road only too. I've seen even mm -hmm. the co the companies that sell headers and stuff like that are getting pressured to not do it because of uh, you know even though it says not for road use. So someone had donated a. S14 Sean, thanks for sending in five bucks. So whenever people pay, I ask their question as soon as I can. Yeah. It's part of the, the payment, how it works. So how do you tune fuel on diesels? I've always heard EGT is the equivalent of a wideband on a diesel. Is this true? Thanks. Um, very close to it. I kind of tell people you can tune a diesel just like you tune a two-stroke. If you have any experience, like kind of messing with two-strokes, you can kind of tell what's going on based off of um, the smoke opacity of the two-stroke. So you, you, you can do the same thing with a diesel and an EGT gauge, other than it is really helpful to have a dyno or at least a full set of gauges, EGT, uh, boost pressure, uh, engine speed, um, uh, compressor outlet temperature, and then post-intercooler temperature. I kind of like to have all, all three of those, at least to kind of get an idea what's going on. Because uh, there's different conditions that'll happen out the exhaust that won't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but if you have all these gauges, they will. So usually what the EGT gauge picks up on a diesel because it burns so slow in the chamber is that, 
if you have too much called duration, so for you guys, it would be duty cycle. For us, we call it duration. Um, so when the duration gets really long, what happens a lot of times is the injection event will actually start to chase the um, the piston down the bore. And when that happens, stuff tends to get really hot because we need the burn. I always tell people, regardless of what it is, if it's a piston engine, it's 15 degrees after top dead center to 45 degrees after top dead center. Um, Cylinder pressure needs to be right there. If it's not right there, then it's not making the power that it should make. So to kind of look at that with diesels, you can see that when the injection event gets to be really long or really late, they will get really hot and they will make crap for torque and horsepower. Um, and you can see that on the EGT gauge. When the duration is too long or the injection event is too late, they will make little smoke and the EGTs will get, they'll start to go through the roof. So we'll start to add timing in as long as it's not a duration issue or a duty cycle issue, uh, we'll start to add timing into the system. And as we add timing, EGTs will come down and it'll start to get cleaner. And we do that until we don't see a gain. And then we usually go back two degrees. We usually do it in two to four degree changes. Um, once we find that it flatlines, we go back two degrees and that's where we leave it. So what do you see uh, on an average? Because I have like an average amount on a turbo LS car, like a delta. If it stops gaining a percentage or a delta, uh, I quit and go back also, like you said. So what do you mm -hmm. see? Like what's a typical gain to the tire, if that's what you use, a chassis dyno, uh, per degree or something you would look for? Mm, I wouldn't. It's, it's, it's kind of hard just because of the way diesel makes power. It makes I mean, all the fuels make power off of the fuel, but the way that diesel makes power, it doesn't have a brake specific that it has to stay in, and it doesn't have a AFR that it has to stay in. So it kind of throws a lot of the stuff for a loop as far as what you might see. Um, and there's a couple different ways to manipulate the flame speed in a diesel. So if, if those conditions are being met, then you'll see more or less gains a minute. So usually we'll see... I like to see gains of at least maybe 15, 15 to 20 horsepower minimum. If it's any less than that, then it's probably, that's within air, I'd say, on the dyno. And I don't think that there's anything more to be had if we're just making these these small bumps. Yeah. So you guys aren't looking at, like, a, like we would look at an air fuel in a certain amount of timing. So you guys are, are doing the whole, not that, but something similar to that, but not mm -hmm. that at all. So you're changing like the timing injection event and then how much you're injecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's, there's two sides to it. Um, and, it. And everything's different too because everybody, the way you probably, you probably maybe understand my, my uh, frustration with the way we have our system set up for injectors. Um, injectors, fueling, it's, it's very confusing if you were coming from the spark condition side of things to the diesel world, the way that you pick an injector is extremely confusing. So what I it usually is. tell people... That's one <laughs> of my questions uh, down farther below, but yeah. Well, hopefully my eyes don't glaze over while you start going over it, but like I'm on good. three, try to, give us, try to give us the bottom answer that's simple and then try to work your way up until we're all like, <laughs> okay, overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Oh, did we lose him? Lost him a little bit. My, oh, now you're back. Okay. We lost Good? you for a second there. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, I was just want to make sure he got his uh, his question answered properly. 
Oh, uh, no, the, the fuel... Uh, the yeah, fuel the timing, one. the fuel EGT one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so oh. you, you can completely tune off EGT mm-hmm. a little bit, but you need to know everything else. Yeah, because there's two things that'll make EGT hot. Um, driving the engine way past its peak torque zone will make EGTs high. Um, too much duration will make EGTs high. So driving past the torque zone too far makes EGTs high because the CO2 buildup in the chamber goes up. Basically, VE falls down, and the VE's replaced with CO2. It slows down the flame speed and the mixing rate. So we'll get high EGTs. And actually, you can have a clean. You can go past peak torque and be smoke-free, and you can hit 2,000 degrees on the EGTs. We've done it. It's um, crazy how make... it just takes conventional gasoline tuning as a walk in the park, it seems like, compared to diesel. And that's part of what I guess the mystery is, is people just break them and they have no clue, and they're like, well, they're just crappy. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um so that you can another thing is that's a, if you ask way too much of a turbo of the turbine side of the turbocharger, you will also end up with high EGT and be smoke free. And then there's the last one where the duration's long. There's to be a lot of heat in the chamber when the exhaust valve opens and uh, EGT will be high and it'll be dirty. That's crazy. It's uh I'd love to do like a engine dyno one day and try to soak as much as like i learn better in person most of the time so mm-hmm. yeah one of the kind of the fun though someone was asking on one of the channels about uh oh they wanted um richard to dyno engine in reverse like they asked him what would happen if you dynoed it backwards so if you started up at nine thousand rpms and then use the dyno to pull it down and get a reverse graph yeah i remember him asking about that that's how they dyno uh tractor pull engines and they'll oh, they load up. them until they die down Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll bring them all the way up to 6,000 RPMs, and then they'll apply the load and yank them all the way down to four. Well, that makes sense because that's what they're doing. They're starting out high, and then they're just pulling mm-hmm. enough weight to drag the motor down to stop. Yep, and what was cool about that is uh, because of the inertia of the rotating assembly, they would generally pick up around uh, 300 horsepower doing a reverse pull. So an upsweep versus a downsweep. Yeah. And you'll actually tune a diesel to two different ways depending on what you're doing if you're doing up sweeps or down sweeps the tuning's different that's funny because that it seems like a dumb question but that's actually how they tune some diesels 100 mm-hmm. percent. that's funny i learned something oh a, a guy here just commented that semi trucks are dynoed that way too i guess they pull them down because i would assume the whole time you're you're accelerating with a semi truck you're getting slowed down because of wind resistance and weight and everything else mm-hmm and uh, because the diesel burns really long, that's where um, I've been trying to find, like I've been looking at a lot of papers about it, and most of the people say that diesels make more torque than horsepower down low because of cylinder pressure, which is, to, I do believe, partially true, but I think a lot of the torque also comes from this uh, slow flame burn. So it doesn't make a lot of pressure all at once, but it just continues to push on the piston, even when the piston is trying to slow down. There's a pressure front on the other side of it that's still pushing against it, and I think a lot of the torque especially under a load, say going up a grade, comes from that uh, slow burn speed. If it burned fast, I don't think we would make the torque that we did. Well, here's another one. Uh, Well, this is just like a, you know, uh, what do you think post, but I'll just ask it. So Ben Brenner says, in your opinion, is the future of performance diesel tuning as bleak as it's beginning to appear? Um... 
I'd almost say is it is, is that go that to me almost kind of like that maybe the whole industry has to be a little bit careful. Um, I think with diesel stuff, the problem is is getting into it can be a little bit hard, and to get into it at an affordable level, you have to kind of break EPA's rules to you know in a sense to do so, unless you want to buy a Bosch standalone. Um, so it is a little bit hard to t get into it, but the people that are doing it at a competitive level are all running diesels that do burn uh, clean and are they're you know they're running um, they're right now the fastest time fire punk diesel with their pro mod has done a 395 or a 398 on a i was gonna ask about them sorry to interject there that's what i wrote at the bottom i've been watching a lot of their videos uh with a dyno and that short guy that they always mm -hmm. pick on him the dyno operator and I was yeah. going to ask you uh, if you could play through, like, I mean, we'll get to that later, but unless you think it's a good subject, uh, people have a bunch of questions. But that stuff, I think I got to warm up to that because he's like microseconds, something, something, something. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I wish they would do what'd be cool is I should ask them is to do like a soup to nuts video that says like the basic. Uh, and I'd love for someone like uh, you ever hear of engineering explained on YouTube? Mm -hmm. One yep. of those guys are infographics show how a diesel like do a graphic of how it's burning because you can explain it, but I have to like yes. see it to know. I'll be like, oh, so yeah, yeah. Now same thing. I kind of because my friends all give me crap because I always tell people it's like mentally I can like I can see what's happening. You can see it all, <laughs> but none of us can. Yeah, yeah. I was like, because it's so fast. I always tell people it's so fast that we like. If we were to be able to see it, we wouldn't even know what to do about it. So you have to slow everything. You have to always tell people you got to think like the engine. So the engine obviously cares about it because when we make a change, our power changes. So you got to kind of think like the engine, slow everything down to really slow and and kind of get an idea of what's going on. Um, but that is hard to convey. That's why we kind of started our own channel to kind of get depictions and drawings and. Oh, I didn't even know you and, have one. I got to go sub right now. What is it? Ah, it's just Savage Fabrication. No one had stolen it yet, so. Oh yeah, you got to get in there it. and register it on everything. Where? Uh... Yeah. Dang, where are we? 165. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> guys, stomp, rally, stomp on this quick. Let me copy it quick and dump it into the chat. Yeah. So you started doing informational everything else. I'm very interested in that. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, I have all this, this information i've gathered and um, it's starting to cost a lot of time on the phone to to go over all of this because i do like to talk about it and go over it and make sure that but not 65 times with every person that calls correct so it's i was like it's probably smart to finally kind of get this out on the internet and say hey thank you for buying a product now you know we can make the conversation a little shorter and then send them over to the youtube channel and they can get a, a really good understanding of what would have taken us a couple hours on the phone is now maybe a 30-minute, 45-minute phone call, and now they can um, spend a couple hours on the channel or, you know, 45 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day or whatever. We're actually trying to get them a little bit shorter, uh, uh, understanding what's going on in the diesel engine itself and how the turbo works. Because a lot of people don't understand. The big thing that we deal with is nobody really understands what the turbo does. <laughs> I don't either. Better. Yeah, it's difficult <laughs> because how often do you guys wastegate a turbo? You don't really. You just It's, it's size to function, right? Uh, actually, I I believe in wastegating on diesels, one hundred ten percent. Are a lot of modern ones wastegated? Because everything mm -hmm. I know is like dinosaur stuff that has 
it's like pure function and nothing else. Yep, uh, most all your modern stuff is either waste gated or variable geometry, which oh, they can just of course, yeah, yeah, they just change the basically just change the nozzle efficiency with those to to change how much flow can go through it. Those are the ones I think everything. You, when you fire them, they fire and they sound like a NA diesel, and then it chokes off and starts spooling at idle, makes like five pounds mm-hmm. at idle. Yep. Yeah, but I think everything. Every I think they also have waste gates because what I really like about turbochargers is all a turbocharger does is it modifies what the engine's asking for. So the faster I can get to thirty pounds of boost and then just gate it and leave it at thirty from fifteen hundred to three thousand RPMs, the better off I am than having this curve that goes up. And then basically, that you if you're looking at it from probably a spark ignition standpoint, your tune would be like changing the whole way through the curve up and down, and it's kind of the same thing with a diesel engine. Um, I, I'd prefer to get up to my target boost pressure as fast as possible and then hold that across my RPM range that I want to run through. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I, I don't know why I had the assumption that... I know newer ones have VGT and gates and everything else. I've seen, like, the flapper, internal flapper and mm-hmm. stuff on Cummins, but it makes more sense for them to have the the geometry because then they can... It's kind of like compounding. Am I sounding like an idiot? Where they can light it earlier but then open the exhaust side to work better up top. Yeah, people probably, I don't know, some people, maybe most people probably disagree with me, I don't know. But with the VGT stuff, my thing with VGT is it was more of an emissions Ah, idea. Okay. So Um, it's not functional in a horsepower or bottom-end, top-end situation at all? Kind of. What we run into with the VGT stuff is we can't put bigger turbine wheels in them. Basically, all the mechanical stuff inside that housing gets in the way. And when we want to... Basically, that turbocharger was designed perfectly for that stop truck. So now someone does a tune and still wants VG. Yeah, correct. Because we can't change the, we can't make the turbo bigger to accommodate for the motor making more power. So we can make just the, wrote uh, variable geometries tend to soot and stick up after a while, like the mechanical pieces in the exhaust. That would make sense too. So it's a yep. reliability. It's like displacement on demand in Chevy engines. It's it's garbage. They added it for EPA and federal stuff, and it made the mm-hmm. engine less reliable. I kind of always give people a little bit a little bit of grief, but I kind of, you know, I'm like, if you want the exhaust brake, then you got to stay VGT, or if you want to, you know, not have to take the turbo off for emissions or all that stuff. Um, but I was like, I can probably set you up with a fixed geometry turbocharger that might spool a little bit slower than that VGT one, but it'll we can make double, triple, four times the horsepower, whatever oh, you want to do. That's huge. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, obviously every, that. everyone yeah. wants four times the horsepower that's why we turbo five threes yep well because you can't spin them four times as fast so you got to use a turbocharger yeah exactly <laughs> uh my buddy chris asked the funny one so we'll just ask that out of nowhere he goes i just want to know can you tow a house or not bro i don't know i mean i just someone just sent me a diagraph today of a guy making a thousand ninety five foot pounds at at 2100 rpms with one of our units that's pretty disgusting yeah on a 5.9 liter engine 359 cubic inches 1095 foot pounds at at, uh 2100 Uh, yeah that's disgusting sounding yeah so i'm like part of that is not good for drag racing but i might be wrong obviously because firepunk is going threes now But now, do they have, like, how, what kind of RPM do those guys spin? I want to talk about them for, like, an hour after these questions. 
I'd love to get to talk talk to them because I have plenty of questions that they could answer because they got all the, the the money and all the gauge the gauge and data acquisition. Oh yeah, it you know, seems they like get to see that stuff. They're one of the only guys that I've heard say about the Bosch. They're like, we have a standalone for our Dino cell, and those are the guys that spit that billet engine apart that everyone was pirating the video. And then finally, mm -hmm. I learned it was those guys, and that's when I subscribed to them. Yeah, no, those guys are they're super smart. And they work with DNJ. Uh, DNJ is the, the engine builder. They build that billet block. Oh, yeah, because they were like, let's just push it till it comes apart. And then they did. And they just laughed about it and threw it across the dino room. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the channels, it's a uh, uh, engine engine builder magazine, uh, was doing an interview at DNJ. And they do, uh, they're kind of, not want to say uptight, but they are careful with what they how much information they give out. Um, but they were saying that they've recorded 8,000 uh, psi cylinder pressure on a four, you know, a 4.020 piston. Jeez, that seems <laughs> like quite a bit, in my yeah, opinion. So he, but I said, I mean, that's what it, they're saying. That's what it takes to do 4,000 foot pounds torque. But um, and RPM wise, DNJ was saying uh, right around 5,500 to 6,500 RPMs is about as high as they can push the peak horsepower numbers just because of the flame speed of the diesel starts. It just, you can't accelerate it enough. Even with nitrous, it won't, it won't keep up. Someone just said that like a minute or two before you did. So you can't see chat. So you didn't make that up. It's funny. Nope. Everything, you know, he says firepunk spins over 6,000, but they make peak power at 5,800 uh, approximately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And DNJ was just saying it's a, basically it's a flame travel thing. They it's too slow. The fuel's too slow yep. to, to RPM any higher, which is something I always knew, and that's why some of those stock diesels can't make power over, like, 4,000, uh, mm -hmm. like uh, TDI and stuff like that. They're just done at 4,000, but it makes sense to have, like, a full-on drag one do another 2,000 over that. But they're getting around that with, you know, they're doing some gearing stuff and whatnot. And the other the big thing, too, is that, and I don't know if it's a weight thing or if it's a, you know if it's a weight versus safety or if it's maybe it is the RPM and gearing is that uh, all the diesel stuff is for the most part all eighth mile. There's I think like Milliken and some of those guys did do quarter for sweet sixteen I think or maybe that was still eighth as well. Huh. I've, no, I've noticed even the trend in pro mod and everything else is kind of going to eighth I think just for safety just because of how fast these things are getting. Yeah, most of the time, if it's not done in the eighth, it, the quarter doesn't matter when the things are that fast. They're done. Those guys can coast an insane time to the quarter mm -hmm. after they've just boogied to the eighth that hard. And I agree. You, if, you're, if you're going 211 in the eighth, why are you running it out the back? None of those tracks are long enough. Yeah. And uh, another, I've heard this too. Years ago, I did a dyno day with some big knowledge diesel guys from the eastern Pennsylvania here. And uh, BK says the same thing. Uh, he says you just can't get the fuel in. The injection rate, your, your maximum amount of spray, uh, you can't get mm -hmm. any more in the window. The window yeah. is done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's the same one. I've been listening to a lot of the stuff about uh, how all of you guys hate direct-injected gasoline engines because you can't make power without port injection, basically. Yeah, anything's uh, performance has ports stacked onto it. Like, why even mm -hmm. have it? So it's kind of funny, though, is I know, like, uh, the early DI, your guys' injection pressures, I think, weren't that high. And recently, it sounds like they've bumped the injection pressures up to around 6,000 PSI. And I bet you, if they can, they're going to go up again. Because the higher the pressure in that, that rail system... The more system, you can put in, right? Yep. Yeah, the more you put in a short amount of time. So, 
Yeah, oh, early ones were like a thousand, twelve hundred, in my opinion, and a couple of them have gone to like the two, three thousand. And they might be Chris Ortiz would know. He's in the chat uh, on a lot of modern like DI L eighty three whatever trucks and stuff. He would know what they're up to now. Yeah, yeah. So like uh, old diesels, they run around um, sixty six hundred to like seventy hundred psi, and but that's mechanically created, so it's forced to go through the injector. Uh, your common rail stuff, uh, early common rail, I think it's 22,000 to 26,000 PSI. And some of your latest stuff is, uh, I think, 28 to 34, 37. I might be overshooting it, but... Um, no, I know I've heard at least 20,000, and I've actually heard oh, people yeah. say, you have to watch when you touch anywhere near those, because it can directly inject through your skin into your bloodstream mm -hmm. and your body. It'll just, so on the... It'll put fuel straight into your body. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, on cylinder six on the five nine common rail engines, they have a a quarter inch thick of some sort of steel. I would imagine it's a hardened steel next to where the injector line is. So if that injector line broke, it won't saw through the cab and go through you. Oh, so BK must be a very knowledgeable diesel guy. Also, he just says we run close to forty thousand psi peak now. Yeah, and I think uh, listening to uh, Dynamite Diesel. Uh, they, the big thing is what their main reason on the pressure seems to be the injector bodies themselves. If they can, the injector body and the solenoid actuator, if they can handle those higher pressures, have to actually like hold it. Hmm. It makes sense that it doesn't split the injector apart at that 40,000 psi. That sounds retarded <laughs> to me. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if you can compress gas. Like, I don't know if you can get gasoline to forty thousand psi and force it through a nozzle before it just sets on fire on its own. Yeah, from the friction. Yeah, I'm not sure. Imagine. I don't know. That's what I was thinking to myself. I'm like, by the time you squirt it, that pressure probably just you can't ignite it. It just straight burns like at that pressure. Mm -hmm. Or it might mix poorly. It might want to kind of start to pre or pre burn garbage or something. Yeah. Well. This is funny. An OM, I'm assuming that it says, how do you get an OM Merc to spool faster? Is that super, everyone uses that OM6 or whatever it is? Oh, man. It could be a, it could be a long conversation. So, yeah, I talking about the inline 5 and inline 6 Mercedes diesels. Um, there's a couple different versions. OM607 is the five-cylinder. OM603 was the first six-cylinder with a, I want to say it came with a crossflow head. Then the OM606 was the latest iteration of it, and it used a, uh, a rotary a rotary style injection pump that was, could be computer changed. But what they would do is they would take the 603 injection pump and send it off to a guy in, uh, I think, Sweden. He would modify it, send it back, and you can put it on your 606, and now you got a mechanically injected 606, and the things will do like 600 real horsepower at 6,000, 6,600 RPMs. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, people were asking... Diesel. Someone asked pretty early on, they're like, Matt, will we ever see a sloppy diesel truck? And I'm like, probably never a truck, but I wouldn't mind stuffing like the OM6 or a 4BT in something like mm -hmm. a car or LTD or like a Cadillac for no reason. Uh, I have, have no ever... interest in like the giant Cummins and everything else. You ever seen the Black Sheep? I think they're called Black Sheep Racing over in the uh, Europe. No, uh, I got got a, I'm gonna. You send me like a notes thing, and I'm gonna paste it all in the thing of who I should look at after all this. <laughs> they uh, they're one of the only, or at least early, guys that were doing. They had a, a, 
uh, Esther, a minivan? What do we call it? A wagon. A wagon. They swapped a 606 in, and that thing rips. Six uh, OM 606, HX52 turbocharger, so like a 65 to a 67 mil turbocharger. And they're keeping up with all the, you know, like the 1J and, and 2J stuff over there with a, with a, like a, yeah, a station wagon. The thing's hilarious to watch because it's. Yeah. I want to watch longest. that. I want to watch it now, but we're doing this. <laughs> You'll have to, uh, who's it called again? I'm going to just note it for myself. Black Sheep Racing. Okay, cool. I got them written down for. So they, I guess they were asking, how would you make the turbo spool faster? But I think you answered that with the the modified mechanical pump. Um, yeah, you that. But I don't think those motors can take a lot of torque, judging off of the RPMs that they like to turn those things. They're an undersquare motor. So you don't want to make a lot of bottom end. You just want to get it all in up top. Yeah, and they. I know that they did use nitrous to get that fifty-two to light up. Um, nitrous assist. A lot of drift guys do that too. You wouldn't think, but I know Papadakis Racing talks about it, and he uses the smallest shot. Uh, you smack the mm-hmm. throttle, and it, it and uh, like Holly and a lot of stuff can turn. It literally has an option in the nitrous control to off at certain psi, so it'll never fire until you're in it and it's above a qualifier, and then as soon as it hits ten pounds, it's off. So they'll use all weekend. It'll a ten pound bottle will last because it's only. You know, it smacks it for like a quarter of a second when they're trying to get up on it, and that's it. Then they mm-hmm. never have lag, and they have a thousand horsepower turbo. Yeah, and, and diesel, diesel and nitrous are made for each other. That's another question uh, Cameron wanted to ask. We'll, we'll try to ask it later because there's a bunch of stuff in between. So now we're yep. going to go off serious stuff because my brain is trying to take all this in. <laughs> So uh, wobbly sauce. This guy's always on the videos, and he goes complimentary uh, pizza and ice cream question, which means what's your favorite pizza and what's your favorite ice cream? Um, all, I'm, I'm a, all my creativity has gone on to gone into the metal side of things and engine side of things. So pizza is not too fancy, but we like to get a pepperoni pizza, and then we buy more pepperoni from the grocery store, and we just. <laughs> And we load them. It literally takes like another like thirty minutes to cook because of how much extra pepperoni we load on it, and that's always amazing. Uh, ice cream, uh, mint chocolate chip, or uh, cookies and uh, uh, cookie dough is always pretty good. But the cookie dough's got to be like the right flavor. Yeah. Hmm. Some of those are funny. This is interesting. Yeah, I'm not much of a fancy ice cream person, so whenever people talk about fancy ice cream, I'm, I can't identify. So. Oh, they might hate me. I haven't had ice cream in a long time. Maybe I'm missing out on all this info, but uh, oh, how this is a good question. I mean, this is probably a gigantic can of worms, but try your best to uh, paraphrase and summarize is what I always try to do. Because uh, this is a giant goals versus use case scenario, I believe. So let me mm-hmm. just ask it now. Joey says, how do you approach sizing a turbo for a diesel versus a gas motor? um 100 goals driven probably is the short answer yeah and i kind of because we deal where i was kind of funny is i was kind of looking at for your side of the market you probably don't really look at turbos so much as how fast can it spool up as much so maybe your idea of how fast can it spool up is probably how fast can it get to maybe eight to 12 pounds for the most part and then if you want more you can turn it up 
usually for us, we're looking at how fast can the turbo get to 40 to 50 PSI. Yeah, so, and we need to be able to get there and then hold it over this wide range. What's kind of crazy is, and you don't understand this, is the higher the pressure of the turbocharger, the faster you cross the map per increase in engine RPM. Yeah. So we typically try and look for maps that I call them kind of like a hamburger map. So it's really <laughs> wide here and not yeah, as tall there. Yeah, but pressure ratio but it, all the way across mm -hmm. the board instead of yep. gasoline, you want to go this way, and then yours, you want to go flat. Mm -hmm. Well, I've seen some of, like, some, some of Garrett's maps. I mean, they're like this narrow. I'm like, it would be really hard to get this big of an engine to, to not make that. boost. Yeah, until here to stay safely inside of that map. And another kind of ongoing joke is talking to someone that knows way more than I do. When we're talking to him about when I was talking to him about turbochargers, was performance turbo diesel does not operate on the compressor map. Uh, in other words, we run way more boost pressure uh, a lot of the times, especially wide open throttle, than most any manufacturer wants you to be at. So a compressor map is for a gasoline engine. It, I think, to me, it's, it's extremely helpful for the daily driver and to get an idea of what's going on. So. If, if you're going to operate within those regions, then it's important. So if, if we're towing um, or lower engine RPM stuff or we can actually land on the map, then it's pretty helpful. And if, even if we're doing dyno stuff, I mean, if we're doing dyno stuff, I can kind of guesstimate where we're at. I can see, are we at a turbocharger or is your tune wrong? Are your injectors too small? Is your fuel system not good enough? A lot of the times on the dyno, the turbo is, is plenty. There's still plenty left in the turbo. And I try and talk to them and say, hey, you know, you might get a retune. A lot of times it's, I paid a lot of money for these tunes. And I'm like, oh. The chassis dyno in the video out your exhaust says that it could be changed. Because <laughs> there's another 160 left in the turbo. I was like, if you were maybe at 80 to 60 left in the turbo, you're probably at the, you're in the maximum for the day. Uh, but if there's like 120 to 180 horsepower left in that compressor, as far as flow capacity goes, I was like, there's something up with the tune or you're out of fuel. Okay, there's plenty of power. So as far as sizing goes, I asked them what RPM, what's what's what is the size of the engine? What do you expect the engine to do? Because we can't have our take and eat a two with turbo diesel. Um, if you want it to rev the five thousand RPMs, then you're gonna have to give up stuff at two thousand RPMs. You know. Um, so I try and settle them down to earth after talking to them about what they want to do. So <laughs> a lot of the times it's fifteen. You know, is it gonna be fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred? Is it gonna be 1800 to 3000, 3100, what's the range we're working in? And how big is the engine? So I can kind of get an idea how much boost pressure we're going to have to make um, to get the density ratio we need to meet the CFM requirement netted, needed to burn the amount of fuel that I want to put in the cylinder, or, or should say the customer wants to put in the cylinder. Um, so that's so kind of how we look at it. Is that similar to where twins and triples is a better? Because mm -hmm. you can. Can you have your cake and eat it too with triples or twins? Yes, if you uh, with oh yeah with so as long as the twins is understood as compound turbos. Yeah, that's um, what I mean. Like if you uh, if someone's like I want compounds and I want bottom and top. Like obviously you can't yep. have extreme amount of power down low and up top, but I want really good power down low and almost more than I can use up top with twins. You you can compounds. but so, yeah you can. Um, the hard part is, is um, wastegates can be expensive, and a manifold with a wastegate port on it can be expensive. So then this stuff kind of adds up, and then it turns into, well, that's a little... A lot of the times, and it says this isn't in a negative manner at all, a lot of the times the ability to get this really wide power band 
comes at a, at a pretty decent increase in cost. What's a, uh, so what's, what's like an economical single and an economical compound and then what does expensive mean? I have no idea for a diesel. <laughs> I know diesel costs like four times what gas does most of the time. So yeah, I, I'm just curious of a price range, like ridiculous 10,000 or 2000. I don't, I don't know. Um, well, like I said, there's our, there's our turbocharger as well as like the S 300s and whatnot. Um, so basically as long as it's under for a single, we think as long as we're in that 15 to 1600 range, most people will spend that as long as it's going to do what they want to do. Uh, compounds, it's usually going to be around uh, probably be in the twenty-five dollars to $3,500 area, just maybe in turbochargers, depending on what you go with. It can be maybe two grand, twenty-two hundred if you go with some of the box stock stuff, but it, we kind of feel like you're leaving a little bit on the table going with some of the box stock That's stuff. That's not much of an increase to have a perfect setup versus uh, off-shelf. Uh, well, then the man the the manifold cost more. It's like you can use your stock manifold if you want with a single, but with the compounds, if you want this real wide power band, you're gonna have to get a you know, a steed speed or a stainless diesel gated like a manifold. Like horn style. Mm-hmm. They're just all log manifolds, and they're around yeah, eight hundred bucks, eight hundred to a thousand. So there's another eight hundred hundred uh, eight hundred to a thousand on top of that. Um, the gates run for the diesel stuff. They run about five hundred bucks plus fabrication to get this all set up, you know. So it, it adds up fast. A lot of the kits from, like, Evil Fab, I really like their kits. I, um, I mean, their kits can get in excess of, of 8 to 10 grand for some of their stuff. So you go from, like, 3000 to 10000 for that, have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah, gotta be gotta be a little careful. We kind of have an. That's a slippery slope, three to ten. Yeah. So that's what I was wondering. That's I was like two or ten. Like what is it? And you're like, yeah, two or ten. I'm like, okay, that's quite a difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you can, if so, there's like where maybe the stock mechanic side comes in. If you can DIY it yourself, if you don't got to pay somebody else to do all of it, you can you can have your cake and eat it too for a pretty reasonable amount. You know, turbos, wastegate. Uh, exhaust manifold and some mild steel or stainless piping you can probably get yourself all said done for under four and if you get used turbos or at least you use atmospheric or whatever you know whatever you do the price keeps coming down Um, so the the disconnect is between if you can diy it or not like kind of the other day someone uh, another shop that we work with someone ordered a diy plate bumper and then wanted our shop to weld it up and i was like it kind of doesn't work that way you know you're going to spend the (laughs) same amount you're going to probably spend more to buy the DIY bumper than pay a fabricator. Not in a rude way, it's just how it works out, you know? Just, we've got to pay our bills to keep our doors open. Yeah. Uh, you're probably going to spend the same amount and it's not going to be powder-coated than if you just would have bought the powder-coated welded one from them in the first place. So, but, you know. And the BK yeah. in the chat. BK, where do you work or what do you do? I think he does diesel performance because he said, we make about 90 pounds fuel only on a Gen 2 Pro Mod 88 as a reference. It overspeeds and comes apart at 120, which I can only imagine he knows from experience. And then he says, uh, when we talked about $10,000 for a good compound setup, like what you really want, and he goes, add in 15K of trans and converter combo to that. Mm-hmm. Because it's not, yep. people forget, it's not just the cost of the turbos. You probably need a bunch of engine work and then you need 15000 in transmission to 
put that to the ground without shattering every and then i'm assuming differential needs to be done and everything else needs to be done at that point yeah yeah they they get pretty pricey i mean he's a crew chief for a race truck can can you say are you not allowed to say who but that's cool he also says vs racing turbos work great on diesels under a hundred or under a thousand dollars for compounds that seems very reasonable we tossed mm-hmm. three turbos before learning that 120 pounds is too much. <laughs> what can he tell us? Uh, what's the RPM on that turbo? Like, what's recommended overspeed, and how much were you spending it to have it detonate? What's What's kind of What's kind of cool too is is Firepunk has publicly stated that they've made 158 pounds on their GT55, but I think they're using um, CO2 or some kind of waste gating. So I think they're getting up to 158 psi fairly early in the run, and then as engine RPMs coming up, they're actually backing off the turbocharger and substituting that with spray. Oh, okay. So the the turbo speed isn't out of control. It's 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 mm-hmm. it's maybe 120,000 the whole time because they're putting it in and then you say they they're like he, double helixing turbo mm-hmm. speed out versus nitrous in to accommodate the airflow, right? Yeah, that's what I think they're kind of doing with that setup because I'm like the only way to have 158 psi in it I think they said 98,000 uh, shaft speed at 158 psi, kind of I'm thinking that they're doing that at a fairly low rpm. And then they're gating off the charger and substituting with spray as they're going down the track. That's super interesting. I'd love to have them on uh, mm-hmm. Firepunk. I want to have that, no offense, the short guy. I forget his name. But they rag on him being short, and he's okay with it. So the short guy. I want to have the short guy on. Yeah. Well, this, BK, this BK guy sounds pretty cool, too. Oh, he says he works. He runs for Ragged Edge Racing. He does uh, crew chief right. for Ragged Edge Racing. I got... Do you guys have a YouTube or something? I'm adding you guys to Black Sheep here of people I need to investigate when we're done. And my buddy Cameron says, it seems like big singles make the most spectacular dyno blow-up videos. That's because we don't understand compressor speed, rotor speed. Yeah, and BK says, we don't have a speed sensor yet, but precision figured around 120. Which is funny because I guessed that, but a big turbo can't spin 120, Mm -hmm. 150. Oh, Levon well, we, Miller. Yeah, his name's Levon. Yeah, or Levon, uh, one of them. Uh, BK knows that too. It's terrible from 2014, but I will link it. <laughs> this guy knows funny. a lot. I mean, he's a crew chief for a diesel place. Mm-hmm. Hey, you guys, Ragged Edge Racing. Do you guys pull or quarter mile race or what? And let me know what your fastest. Whatever. Oh, okay. Well, let's go on to some other uh, questions quick before I... The live stuff is getting pretty juicy, but I want to ask oh. these people that asked four days ahead of time. Uh, Joey Joey asked like six questions, and a lot of them I think are good. He says, can you spray a mechanically injected diesel? Is there a diesel equivalent of a wet shot? That's Those are great questions. Uh, so as far as adding diesel to the nitrous? Yeah, I guess spraying diesel with nitrous, which... I don't know of anybody doing, but that's a good question. Uh, you'll probably bend the rods just about instantly doing that. Oh, you'll hydrolock it or something? It'll, it'll just go off way too soon. the injection event, right? Yeah. Yep, and that's a yeah. big no-no. Yeah, most things that are flammable, you need something. Um, you need to use something that has basically your... Okay, I guess we can go back. We can go to this. 
uh, we use cetane instead of octane, and cetane tells us how, basically, it gives us an ignition delay period. So the higher the cetane number, this, the less the ignition delay is. What What is ignition delay? Ignition delay is how long does it take from when the injection event occurs and the fuel's in the cylinder to the time when the fuel that's in the cylinder pulls the heat out of the compression stroke and actually auto-ignites. So if you if you look at a, at a cylinder pressure graph, it'll come up and then when injection occurs, it'll actually start to flatten out the cylinder pressure rise because it's pulling so much heat out of the compression event that it's also losing cylinder pressure. And then once it lights off, it'll spike back up. Um, so cetane kind of tells us how long that period's gonna be, or at least gives us an idea to work on. Um, so if you take something that lights off fairly easily, like uh, a high cetane diesel fuel, and you inject it and you oxygenate it and then put it and then compress it, it's probably gonna go, you know, it's gonna go off early, just like those little diesel contraptions where you can put a little piece of wool in there and whatnot and smack them. Um, so what we use is methanol. Uh, methanol has a cetane number that's between around seven and eight. It really does not like to auto ignite as well as you guys know. When you run on methanol, you basically can't detonate. Um, so it's really ignition resistant. So you can put a lot of methanol in the chamber, um, compress it, and it's still not going to light off until the diesel actually lights off first. Yeah. So, no, oh. go ahead. You, it's all okay. you. Interrupt <laughs> me, please. I'm the king of interrupting people. Uh, but the cool thing, so this is, maybe, this is something I thought about that would be really fun to talk about is nitrous. I don't know if we want to do that yet or not. Yes, nitrous we might as fuel. well go right to it because it's, it's been covered a lot and Cameron asked it fairly early on. Mm. Nitrous versus propane versus any injectable on top of uh, diesel, which uh, here's what I like to do. And I'm going to take a second to interject myself. Uh, I like to say something ahead of time, what I think is right, and then have people... Mm say no or you're totally wrong or you're totally somewhat right so uh, i would say that all of those fuels help uh, oxygenate instead of the diesel so you're getting more air at some point or on top of that it's hard to get the injection event in so somehow all of that auxiliary fuel propane is a fuel and mm -hmm. nitrous uh, creates air so uh, one of your issues is getting enough air in with your turbo so if you have a turbo that doesn't create enough air down low, you can supplement it. Obviously, same with a gas engine. You can get all of that exhaust flow to light a turbo sooner. And then I think propane uh, on top of a diesel is it's hard to get the injection event without hydrolocking. So the propane is just supplementary before the mm -hmm. fluid is getting in there. So hopefully I'm totally wrong on one of those. Um, well... The thing with, so propane was really cool probably back in the day, but it's not really that fantastic anymore as a performance fuel. You don't hear about it um, much anymore also, so. Uh, the rock crawler guys love the stuff. Huh. They can go like, well, because uh, the tank, they basically, they could be on any angle and it doesn't matter because it's a pressurized fuel tank. Makes sense. Um, Gas guys run on the propane too. I kind of tell people, I was like, um, name me a, a propane injected something that is doing fours. Yeah, in the in the eighth mile. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I throw that around too. I'm like, people are like, "Is this a good system?" I'm like, "Is anybody going fast with it?" Mm -hmm. And they're yep. like, "No." And that, like I said, I don't like to talk bad about some tuning places or shops, 
but they're like this shop is the best and i'm like does anybody go fast with their product and they're like well I said, and that's that's a double-edged sword right uh-huh. so maybe people are have a hundred percent reliability with that person but it doesn't go fast so if you're looking okay. to go fast it's probably not your choice but if they have offshore racing boats that are wide open for an hour that makes me look stupid Mm-hmm. So it depends on what you want to do, but please go ahead. I'm going to mute myself now. <laughs> uh, so diesel responds to nitrous a lot, basically on a, on a twofold. So does gasoline. Uh, I was listening to, I don't know if you guys, the, the real, I've watched the real street stuff. Um, Jay over there at real street, uh, but they had an engine. They took apart that was nitrous and turbo. And it was kind of cool to hear Jay say that with the turbo only you guys is, uh, flame, uh, your pressure event lasts about 12 degrees of crank angle. And then with boost and with nitrous, it's about seven degrees. Um, but if we look at the baseline of most of the gasoline stuff that I, unless someone can tell me that I'm wrong, which I would like to be told wrong, uh, non-force induction, it's about 24 degrees. So if you're going from 24 to 12 to seven, um, it's about all you can really do with it. There's not much left to go from seven to, to the engine just blows itself apart, you know, the closer you get to zero. Um, with diesel being around 60 degrees of crank angle, we're already starting super slow. So we have like, we have a lot of room to keep adding nitrous and keep picking up flame speed. And every time we pick up flame speed through a cylinder, because we oxygenate the system, uh, we'll, in, we'll make the fuel more efficient. And because we don't have an AFR rule, we can keep doing this until the thing detonates. Uh, and diesel does detonate. I got a really cool photo of one that did uh, detonate, and it shows you how crazy the turbine wheel and a turbocharger cancels stuff out. Because out the wastegate, the external wastegate, you can see the det the the shock waves. But then out of the candle coming out of the turbocharger, there's no shock waves. It kind of gives you an idea how like how much dampening there is on that turbine wheel, and kind of backs up why the Hemholtz stuff doesn't really work that well on a turbo motor versus an NA engine. Um, but if we look at turbo diesel, most turbo diesel stuff modern day comes from the factory with a 0.43 brake specific. And now, whenever the Spark guys get asked about brake specific, they say we don't care; we could just put more in it. Uh, the diesel stuff we can't just go throw more in it. We're really limited on that, and especially because of the whole AFR deal. So if we're at 0.43 brake specific and we're putting in uh, 100 pounds of diesel an hour, if we are stuck at 100 pounds of diesel an hour, and, but we can add nitrous and go from 0.43 to 0.36 to 0.34 to 0.26 to 0.25 to 0.24, that's you're going to see that on a dynograph is the power is going to go up every single time. And you can do that until it detonates. You can keep going down. We've uh, done mathematical calculations on stuff that's been at a 0.24 to 0.26 brake specific on diesel fuel, which if you lift the fuel quantity the same, that for that to occur, that means we're making more power. And a lot of that is with the nitrous. And that's why you see nitrous clean all the diesel up because we stated earlier how diesel burns really slow. So because it burns slow, we do have a lot of sitting. Well, when you Bit, uh, speed up the flame front, there's a lot of time in the cylinder to now left over to burn up the acetylene soot particles we've created, and it cleans up all the soot, makes more power. It's a match made in heaven, realistically, as long as you are careful with it. The uh, yep. uh, BK is commenting again. 
right away. Oh, he's answering camera, and camera's asking about compounding. And, uh, yeah, he says the turbine doesn't reflect the pressure wave, it absorbs it. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense. I always say to people, I have done dyno tuning on an engine dyno, and ever since then, my brain can't stop seeing individual cylinder trims. Because the chat, the engine dyno I used had eight widebands. Mm -hmm. So ever since tuning a almost stock LS2 and seeing all the fuel trims in each cylinder, I can't unsee that. So whenever I tune a single turbo V8, I'm like, this is the average of all eight cylinders. And I know that now. So, you know, each cylinder can be off quite a bit. Uh oh, <laughs> what's going on? I don't know if this comes through or not. This is in one of Darren Morgan's videos. Oh, SR seventy one, and he's shock cones, and he's like, "There's only a, there's only a one instance where you'll see sh like shock cones on a gas engine, and it's when it's detonating, and it's a nitrous promod." That one got a picture of. Let's see if I can get a bigger picture here. So this is a nitrous promod, just to make up for it here. Oh so yeah, you can see, one of the cones. Yep. Yeah, so we're seeing so on this nitrous car, the thing has too much nitrous for its fuel volume, and it's detonating, and you can see it. I don't even know if we can see that with our human eye, um, but a camera picked it up. And then I watched that video, and I was like, oh, it's really cool and all. You know, it's really but It doesn't really apply to those because our chamber temperature is so high because the speed of sound is based off the temperature of the air. Our chamber temps are so hot, typically, and our flame speed is so slow that we usually you're not going to see a detonation event unless you really got something messed up. And even still, you're probably not going to see it. And then an article came out on wastegates, external wastegates, and should you have them or not. And the cover photo taken by Jason Sands, if I can find it, was a truck that I know of because it's local. And they, they would go through pistons like crazy. I know the owner of the trucks. I know the guy that worked on the truck. And here's a turbo diesel. Oh, wow. Look at all that. You going see it. On. You you see it detonating though out the of the pressure waves. Yeah. Yep. But then out of the the cone out of this after the turbo has no cones. It really gives you an idea though too, a perspective of how much. And there's not much exhaust there, really, right? So the exhaust is a dump, and then but the mm -hmm. is the gate is that is that uh, compounds or something? Uh, single on spray. It's a single seventy five. Wow. Or 80 so mil. the the gate is detonating and the downpipe is fine. mm Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that at all. But, so, and I was reading a paper because uh, Colstein was asking about running straight oxygen in an engine. I was like, I've had papers on it, and you'll never see it really in the aftermarket. One, because no one wants to carry It's hard to carry around, say, uh, uh, a 150-pound oxygen bottle, and the amount of volume you need is kind of high. But I was reading a paper on it, and it probably applies to nitrous as well, is... Basically, it's fuel volume versus the amount of oxygen. Like, so if you actually cal calculate the, the oxygen molecules, uh, atoms, which say uh, oxygen atoms in the chamber, um, it's they say they couldn't put more than 30% um, O2 in the thing before their single-cylinder diesel engine would, would spontaneously basically detonate. Um, so we can kind of get an idea of probably mass volume fuel versus the oxygen and the charge mixed with nitrous and the ambient air. We can get up to about 28% before it uh, does with that, with that truck did right there. That truck went through pistons like crazy. I mean, they probably put more than 30, 40 pistons in that thing. 
so I have a quick offshoot question since you are talking about diesel pre-ignition or detonation. Can you see that any other way? I mean, we have, uh, we can look at the negative strap on a plug. We can use knock mm -hmm. sensors. We can see pumping loss. We can see a bunch of things like the delta drop off, a, a lot of things. So uh, it all depends on, it's interesting to me that the diesel burns so slow. Is there like a lot of fuel stability there? Or is it easy to... Once you run out of a delta, is it easy to knock them? Is it uh, uh, so? What's mm. going on there? No, I don't. They're pretty. You just have to probably have the timing advance pretty far. And what usually happens is they just go off early. I don't even. I don't even know if it's a. Uh, you could say it's a detonation event because I think the flame front speed is probably still below the speed of sound, but it just starts to make. It'll start to make cylinder pressure, um, before TDC, and the engines get really loud. If you're ever around one, they, they start to rattle. They start. To, it sounds like someone's basically hitting the side of the block with a hammer. Even more um, so than normal. Huh? <clears throat> yeah. Yep. That's why part um, of me is like, is that... So you can hear the difference when you roll into one, and it rattles mm -hmm. totally different. Yeah, they actually, a lot of the times on like a performance diesel that's set up pretty decent, when you roll into them, they'll actually get really quiet. The, the engine noise will go down when you roll in because you're starting to overfuel the system. You're, you're reducing the AFR through increasing the fuel chamber. Yeah, so the burn starts to slow down a little bit. They'll actually quiet down a little bit before they start to pick back up. The engine engine noise-wise, they'll smooth out. Same And the same vice versa. If you get up, if you accelerate really fast and then start to kind of coast it, but you're still in the throttle a little bit, they'll actually get kind of noisy. Just because the, the piston speed is so fast at this point that the compression charge is, is at a higher temperature. You know, the faster you compress the air, the hotter it gets. But you're only putting you're putting in enough fuel to kind of coast down, um, and they'll get real loud. So I have a good one here. Uh, distributor pump versus common rail versus unit injection. So there's uh, oh, three of them there. So mechanical versus common rail which is electronically injected i don't know what unit injection is what is that is it maybe huey huey injection it says unit i'm not sure if that's irrelevant just do just do electronic versus mechanical for us um the, the thing with mechanical injection there's a lot of different versions out there but the most popular one has uh, fixed timing advance um and then if you look at a common rail a common rail has so basically, it's EFI. It's electronic fuel injection for a diesel. Versus for the carburetor. Yep. So I kind of tell people, I was like, take a carburetor and lock the distributor at whatever timing you need to make the power you want, and then drive it around all the time. I mean, that makes I sense. Mean, I guess they're asking, like, what's easier? I mean, <clears throat> I'm assuming if you don't have a lot of electronics and you don't want to invest in it, mechanical's easier, maybe? Well, you can make, I mean, the, you kind of go back and forth is the peak powers can both be the same. You know, a carburetor can make the same peak power as an electronic fuel injection it's setup. It's all the so under-the-curve stuff. Mm -hmm, yeah, so that comes in the under-curve, how fast does the turbo come up and all that kind of stuff. And then from a, from a fairly OEM standpoint, you probably really wouldn't notice too much of a difference. But when you get into the performance stuff where our minimum timing advance starts to get pretty far out there, we actually started injecting so early and, and oh, this is in cases where we can't run nitrous. We start running so much advance on these mechanical pumps that we're um, killing a crap load of torque 
So like a like say like a twenty three hundred stall converter is actually stalling at around eighteen hundred, just because of how much advance we have in it. Because the engine it has no power down low. Yep, yeah, we just start killing all the torque down low, and that was something we kind of learned. We learned that twofold. One, we bought injectors that we shouldn't have bought, and called the pop pressure was really low. And we actually got called up by the the guy that we used to build our injectors, and he's like, "Where did you get these?" And I said, "Online." <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "I was like, he's like, I don't even know how the thing idled on these." I was like, "They that 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 bad? They're uh, like a hundred percent below the opening pressure they're supposed to be." So instead of opening it. Um, 260 bar they're opening like a hundred bar so they'd open really early and have a really low pressure long duration spray event so we could, the thing wouldn't make torque to save its life even with the engine rpm 4000 rpms it's just this we're just chasing the piston down the hole um, so we got that fixed and even still with a good injector it starts it does everything it's supposed to do um, but we're looking at putting a dump valve on it to to get it to light oh, it even train. sooner Mm-hmm. Yep. Use yeah, performance. Well, it's a 727, and I don't know if they do one for a 727 or not. Ask uh, Mr. Pete Nichols about that. But that's the kind of the big thing is uh, if you once you get into the racing side of things, now you can negate it in drag racing. They're using nitrous, so you can run a lower timing value with your mechanically injected setup and then use nitrous. And you're going to want to run lower timing anyways with the nitrous just because uh, you're picking up a lot of flame speed there. And one thing that I would personally like to test, like if I had the, if I got lucky enough and had a calm rail and the tuning and all that stuff, I'd like to see what happens if the thing starts making more power um, with more boost by taking timing out. So it would have like this curve where you'd have low timing in the lower RPM ranges and then give it timing kind of through the mid range. But then as the boost pressure gets way up there, so we're starting to get a lot of compressed, you know, heat. We've got a, a high density ratio, um, a lot of boost, you know, 60 pounds of boost, say from 40 to 60 PSI, I actually start pulling like a degree out and seeing if it starts to pick up power because the flame front might want to be now um, a little bit at the lower timing value to get my peak cylinder pressure in the right spot. I think that'd be a lot of fun to, to try out. So I had a quick question. So do you have a dyno? Yeah, I have a, a mobile Dynajet made by uh, uh, Mobile Chassis Dyno. I believe that's their name. Um, it's a Dynajet 224X. With the all-wheel drive loaded? Nope. It's a non-loaded 24-inch roll setup. Huh. And uh, why do diesel guys talk about so many different tune files? And uh, is it only certain ones that have, like, a quick switch? Or... I mean, I understand where they want, like, a drag race one that's at, like, meltdown EGT by the end of the trap, and then they have a tuning one. Are there any other reasons why, or do guys just like having 75 tunes to talk about? Um, well, they like, you know, it's like stacking tuners and everything else. Um, my, and then can you my, explain my stacking tuners? Because I kind of know what that is, but... Oh, okay, that's, that's old school stuff. So, you could say, I mean, how fire, I like how Firepunk kind of does it, is they have different tune files for different ETs that they want to run, like a lot of their customers. And that's the thing with a dyno. We get a lot of stuff where it's my horsepower is lower, my horse, you know, a lot of times horsepower is fine, a lot of times horsepower is high. Um, a lot of the times horsepower is low, and the dyno gets blamed for it. But if, or if we compare two dynos, like we just had a Northwest Circuit come out with their Superflow, 
48 inch roll dual eddy current setup. I mean, we're averaging within 60 horsepower of that setup with a 24 inch roll and no load cell. You know, not too bad. Um, but what I like to look at is like this horsepower. If you make, and you kind of do the same thing with your eights for eights, is if I make this horsepower on my dyno with this vehicle weight, it'll go this fast down the track, it'll go this far down the full track. So it's a tuning aid. And Firepunk is the same thing where Firepunk's numbers, um, not in, like I said, a bad way, their numbers tend to read on these 1,000 plus horsepower setups. They tend to be between uh, 150 to 300 horsepower higher than a lot of other places. So if you want your big internet record, go you know go there or use a diesel doctor dyno. Um, but they're going to tune your setup based on their local track time. So if a 790 truck needs 800 wheel, they're just going to tune it to 800 wheel because 800 wheel on their dyno means they're going to go 790 down the track. So we kind of do the same thing with our dyno. We know that at 600 wheel, it's going to go this fast. At 700 wheel, it's going to go this fast. And we're actually always pretty good on the, on the times. Always pretty dead on. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> what's funny is I say that to people for... People used to talk about how my dyno is high or low. And I'm like, well, for 15 years, it's been mechanically correct. Mm-hmm. Like a clock. So I don't know what else to tell you guys. Uh, I've been posting dyno videos and track times more than most people have been in business. Uh, and I, I try to say that without ego. But uh, I would say that there's a direct correlation, obviously, and it has never changed. So what else do yep. we say about that? Well, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'd like to get a, a load cell for mine. Uh, there's a company, I think they're up, to, to me, they're going to be up north and to the east that makes the mobile chassis dyno load cell setups. I think it's actually mobile chassis dyno makes a load cell kit where the load cell flips up. It has a hydraulic cylinder that flips it up on the deck and hmm. flips down with a, just a coupler, a drive shaft. I'd like to have one for a certain testing I'd like to do and then just for everybody that wants a load cell and still see that their numbers are low, you know. Yeah, happy. <laughs> I think uh, we're going to upgrade soon. I think this <coughs> this summer we're going to upgrade the dyno. And I never thought I'd be tuning or running cars with such mm-hmm. high amount of horsepower. So now we're looking at ours is inertia and I want to get a load yep. cell simply because I throw about six drive shafts a year. And on top of that, really high horsepower stuff, it's like a one second hit. But mm-hmm. usually really high horsepower stuff, we do a bunch of track tuning also so i ballpark it and i make it safe and then we'll go up and down at the track and then we'll check mile an hour and everything else but it would be nice to be able to load the hell out of some stuff that i need to Mm -hmm. yeah so like like you said it's safer because a load cell you can now run uh, drag drive instead of overdrive yeah you can run first gear from 20 to 40 miles an hour over Mm -hmm. eight seconds traction of course but yeah Cool and we'd like around. to do like, and for our turbo testing, I'd like to be able to test all these turbos and hold them at the dyno at certain loads and engine speeds and pressures and see how far we can take each one. So then I could tell a customer, I'm like, hey, you can, you know, you can hold this thing at 40 pounds of boost and 2,000 RPMs at 100% duty cycle, you know, stuff like that. Or, or you can do 35 pounds of boost for 100%, but at 40 pounds, you might only have about eight minutes before EGTs do start to eventually creep, or your coolant temperature is going to be. Because we're making way more power than what the truck was came off the lot with. So you always kind of think about like going up a grade at, with a truck that came with 160 flywheel horsepower, and now they're coming off the dyno making say 400 wheel horsepower. The cooling system isn't adequate. No, to yeah, take care the BTUs are out of control. People always yeah. ask about uh, 
they're like, I want a 600 horsepower 2500 and I want to tow a horse trailer. And I'm like, it's not really a problem other than you're going to boil all your fluids. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can tune so around that, but you're going to have 400 degree inlet, 400 degree oil temp, and 400 degree water temp at some point. You're not going to be able to scrub it. And that kind of comes back around to the compound thing, too. You see this on a lot of compound turbo setups where um, they'll overheat engines. Um, not because not because EGTs are high, just because, the, like you said, the amount of BTUs being Yeah, it's, it's creating heat everywhere else yeah. other than the intake track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can only fit such a big radiator in these, and you only fit such a big intercooler in them. You only scrub so much of that BTU uh, at a time based on the size of the vehicle. I can show you. I can tell you how to run diesels on your non-loaded dyno if you want. It's, it's yeah, fun. tell me quick because uh, <laughs> I, I don't really. I feel like the. I was going to ask you that. Like, how do you do a pull on an unloaded diesel? Like, I drag the brakes on the car. Or I try to do dumb shit. Uh, I don't really know how to do it correctly. I don't really um, put I... diesels on much anymore. A bunch of them completely stained our walls and doors, and mm-hmm. I just have no interest in doing them anymore. So I have a, like I said, I have a mobile dyno, so it's outside. <laughs> um, so it depends really on the turbo setup. If it's anything that does not have what I like to call a lockup switch or a manual transmission, then essentially we're going to run them without tack pickup. And it's going to be a horsepower only dealio because they're going to basically shift down every time. Yeah, it's... I have no, I can't get tack pickup on a bunch of these anyway. Sometimes I can grab it off the injector if it's common rail and I can adjust mm-hmm. the. I can adjust the pickup to reflect RPM, but it's not always a given. That's what we've been doing. Well, we used to do events, but that's what we do with events. We have that uh, optical sensor tack pickup deal. Actually, I found who makes that that pickup and found uh, uh, the tape from 3M. I have like a 200-foot roll of that optical tape. Oh, yeah, nice. I thought about getting that, too, uh, for some cars or doing some other alternatives because... Uh, my dyno, yours might too. It has that photo. Fo- we have a really early one. It has that photo sensor, and the tab has to pass through a photo sensor. So it has a beam, like when you go into a supermarket, uh, okay. and it yep. has to break the beam to show a pulse per revolution. And yep. it would get filthy and everything else, and it would misalign. It would break the damn. Uh, it was like uh, the smallest amount in the world to break the beam. I don't know why. And what I did is I put a 5.3 crank position sensor on it. Oh, I'll have to look into that. Because we had a guy lose a driveline on the Tyno one day, and it, it tore the back of the transmission off. And the driveline went uh, between the tire and the roller at 90 miles an hour. So it's like a Hot Wheels going through the those foam rolls. And just and ripped up the tab and everything. it out. At, yeah, yeah, it was enough shot, just vibration all at once to make it hit. So we, it has a new sensor in it now, but... It is a tight fit. I've had like three spares, and my friend who's an electronics engineer would constantly fix, replace, and resolder the photocells until I was like, I guarantee this is a 3 to 24 volt circuit that has a knockdown. It has has one tooth, so it's it's pulse per revolution. And I'm like, how would a a crank position sensor, because it's three wires. I'm like, so it has to be... 5 to 24 volts and then it has to be signal and ground and then it has to be more than likely a pulse per revolution so i took a 5.3 crank position sensor and i used like alligator clips on everything and i took a screwdriver and went like this and it showed mile an hour i was like oh i win 
So I yeah. got so tired of doing the, the photo cell that I wired that up. And I actually zip-tied it in place as a temporary solution, but it has worked for three years. So I have not touched it. So it mm-hmm. is zip-tied to the to the damn weird 10-millimeter offset thing. I'm like, whatever. I haven't touched it. I don't care at this point. Um, so unlike the diesel stuff, depends, it really depends on the displacement and the uh, size of the turbo and all that fun stuff. But if it's a like a mid-range size charger, a lot of the times we can just stage them like normal. We'll get them up to about 2,000 RPMs. Uh, start loading the brakes. If it's kind of a mid to large size charger, we'll go like 2,500, then yank them down with the brakes to about 2,300, 2,100. We usually like to see about 15 pounds of boost before that we le- uh, do the leave. Um, on the big stuff, we usually have to get them up to about 3,700. 3,800 RPMs, then we'll use the brakes to yank them all the way back down to 3,000, and we'll pull those big, you know, S480, S475, S480 uh, T6 chargers. We'll yank them all the way back up to about 25 pounds of boost before we let it go at 3,000, and it'll throw down a number, and it'll be on, it'll be right next to their track time or what they do down the pull track as far as where they place in the pack. Hmm. I've tried doing that before. I don't think my brakes were good enough at that point but now we completely swapped out the brakes we used to have the air over hydraulic over master over slit like all that garbage now it has a tractor trailer brake mm-hmm. where it's a cantilever in an airbag and you have to have 100 pounds to lift it so i'm sure that's more powerful than whatever garbage we had earlier uh, but we still we use the vehicle's brakes so it's a, it's a oh, really smooth... you just smash the car's brakes to slow it down yep. while you're in it yep and it works as long as if you can time everything out real good, the brakes really won't get that. They won't get too hot, and you can get it to, to zing up. You can get the boost pressure you need before you do the leave, and it'll it'll read just how it's supposed to. Because the turbo speed's already there, yeah. Yep. Um, the other kind of thing you could do, too, is, it, and they call it cheating. Some, they call it cheating if the shift spike is higher than the, of course, than yeah. the, the peak. But you can get it in, um, in third. Uh, like third gear locked or whatever their 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 drive gear is locked, and then you can basically zing the thing up with the converter locked, but then hit it in the overdrive early. And basically, it'll be on boost going into overdrive at a low RPM, and then go itself up. But I usually that I've only tried it a couple times, and I asked the customer, I'm like, hey, you want me to? Because it's usually their number's kind of low, and I'm like, and they're if they're frustrated, like I got like I mean I could try this. Your trans is built right because I'm about to hit it with a hammer. <laughs> Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But usually it's kind of like last-ditch effort. And if last-ditch effort don't work, I'm like, it's, you know, a lot of times, a lot of diesels need more timing for a comp, for a competitive application than what they got. Especially the mechanical stuff. I have a, a, a tack light, or a, what do you call it, timing light that connects to a snap-on tool that goes on the injector and it picks up injection line swell, and then it'll turn the, the tack light, the timing light on. Yeah. So we can actually see like how much timing is actually lost between where the system might be set at 20 degrees, but when we check it with the light, a lot of times we'll see around 10 or 11 degrees. Um, not always the case, so don't go out there and add 10 degrees to whatever you got, but a lot of the stuff that comes in, if the pot pressure is low or they got something going on with the in- injection pump that's been modified. Is that like times, an inductive delay or is that just built in? Um, I don't know. What do you mean? Like, like uh, inductive delay on a gasoline car would be a percentage off during the RPM band, mm-hmm. usually distributor car. So what would happen is 
there's a delay from when you're commanding. Even if your timing's right at idle and you checked it with a timing light, at 3,000, you have this inductive delay. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. And the ignition amount, so if you lock that thing at 17 and it's 17 at idle, say 1,000, and you go mm-hmm. to 3,000 and it's still locked at 17, it's not 17, it's lower or higher. And you can change what's called an inductive delay for something like that. So I wonder if that's up with the diesel, like the timing isn't what you're asking for, or if it's just something simple as, uh, I saw it recently on like Speed Factory where they had a Subaru where they have variable timing or VVT, like they can move Mm -hmm. the cam actuators. And they actually had, they could see on the Haltech commanded versus actual because it had phasers and cam position sensors. So they would Mm -hmm. ask for 15 and it would only be like five. It would be totally off. And they ended up swapping a bunch of parts and then it would, they'd ask for 15 and it would do this where it follows it and holds it. It wasn't, you know, super fast because the engine would move back and forth towards getting to that Mm -hmm. cam position. So I wonder if that's something similar where you're asking for an event and it can't keep up and that's the maybe not inductive delay because it's not ignition, but it's something like the mechanical or some other delay that's happening. Yeah, well, like a lot of the mechanical trucks, there's basically two spring, there's two spring valves in the system. You got one valve at the injection pump um, that has to get lifted off of its seat, and then you have the injector that also has to get lifted off of its seat. Um, so a lot of the times we might, and uh, called the uh, delivery valve for the mechanical guys, um, it basically it's a shoulder and it has to lift up and then uncover the shoulder before it actually, so it'll start to lift and uncover the seat, but it still needs to uncover the shoulder to go, go to full fuel. So like you can change this delivery valve out and totally change what actually, what actual timing is. Um, so it's like a physical truck. delay, not obviously mm-hmm. inductive. So yeah, you have to, you can modify that to get more of what you're asking for, or you just have to understand that it has an offset and you have to physically adjust for that. Or, mm-hmm. or common rail, you have to electronically adjust for the physical yep. delay. Interesting. Yeah, and we like to do it basically kind of anything we're going to dyno, run on the dyno, we check it because um, we don't know, a lot of times we don't know who built the injectors or how old the injectors are. Um, so we like to get up with that tool on there and see where actual time's at. And then we'll run it. And if it, if it on the dyno, it performs how it's timed, then a lot of times we can start putting more timing in it and it'll pick up power. Hmm. That's super interesting. All or if they're over, yeah, or if they're over time, they sound like crap. And So after time, they, they get slower than commanded, quote unquote? Mm-hmm. Well, they'll start the event sooner. Yeah, so it'll, it'll show a, a retard on the timing. Interesting. Uh, man, I'm taking in so much here. I'm having trouble asking questions. Uh, <laughs> so this guy says, let Matt take a spin in one of your thousand horsepower com- or compound trucks. <laughs> Hauling engines around in his Kia will be a thing of the past. Well, you know, I think he might, he might be thinking of uh, DeBose, DeBoss Garage. Uh, yeah. So we don't, gotta, we don't have anything that's a thousand. Um, I, I know Rich thing. personally, actually. <laughs> Oh, yeah, a pull truck is should be around 800 wheel because it's charger limited to 800 because of the class, and it's overfueled. Um, and then we're working on a, a drag setup that should be hopefully between 550 and 600 tire. 
We would like to run. We'd like to go run 11s with it. Without the converter locked. I've done a bunch of trucks at on dyno days where I try to like drag the brakes, like stand on both pedals. And mm-hmm. I've had some where the guys are like, this is going to make so much power and they're just posers and it makes like 450. And mm-hmm. then I've had some where I genuinely would have lost my lunch money. And uh, uh, one guy was like, it makes what I'm like, well, my dyno reads 1500. And the one guy's truck, he's like, he's like, how high does your dyno read? And I'm like, what a jerk off. Ask me how high that no one ever gets anywhere close to. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, 15. And I'm like, you might as well just get out of here with a with a question like that. And he's like, oh, okay. And uh, it made like it made like a little over. I think it made 10, 12 on fuel. And then he had spray. And mm-hmm. then it made like an outrageous amount on spray also. And I was like, wow, this guy actually isn't full of shit. This is incredible. I, I like those people because then anytime I get someone that complains, I'm just like, here, look. Like, this guy did it. Yeah. So can you? No, no, uh, no complaint. That was on a '76. It was on a uh, forced inductions. Jose built S four seventy six R billet. I think with a '96 backside. It might have been T four or T six. I can't remember. Yeah, well, his his turbos. I haven't got to be around any of his stuff, but I know a lot of the guys are running his turbos in the in the drag diesel scene, um, and in the truck pull scene. I've heard jet fuel and diesel fuel are basically the same. This sounds like bullshit. Is it true? Uh, they are close, but their BTU is different. Jet A has less BTUs than diesel, number two diesel. Um, the cetane rating is different between the two. And I think um, then uh, there's no real, there's not really a lubricity package in Jet A. There is, but it's it's enough lubricity to work and basically a jet engine injector and pump system where the lubricity package in number two diesel is designed to go through parts that are machined so tight that you check them with air pressure. You don't use feeler gauges. You see how much air leaks by them, and if they pass, they pass. Hmm. So the, like, the lubricity is super important. Like Anytime you add anything dry to the fuel, like cetane, nitromethane, methanol, whatever. Whenever you start mixing stuff in, if you mix in stuff that's dry, then you do have to supplement it with a like uh, more lubricity into the fuel itself, or else you'll um, stick parts basically inside your injection system because it's so tight. Uh, this one, a guy asked a few times. I want to go over it. And he says, do you have a recommendation for making 3,000 horsepower to the tire? Like, what would your build be to make... 3,000 horsepower on a diesel. Uh, I don't think I've fathomed going that far. A lot of money. (laughs) Oh, so here's a good Uh, one. I mean, that's kind of a joke. And there's a guy here that donated and asked, and I think I forgot to go over it. And uh, his name's Jay Hackett. And he says, ask Bradley for his favorite bang-for-buck sloppy equivalent diesel engine chassis. Like, what's your favorite economical diesel setup? Mm, I think for the money, like uh, basically a second gen Dodge, twelve valve. So that's a, your ninety four to ninety eight rigs. Prefer if you're in, if you're in a smog state, um, like we are, ninety four to ninety seven. Um, those things are pretty basic, and all you realistically need is a valve train package, push rods, springs, retainers, and locks. Um, the head's totally good. There's nothing wrong with it. 
do a swap out the head the factory head bolts for after aftermarket head bolts. That's what we do. Um, we just run a, a head bolt by made by Mighty Diesel. Uh, Power Driven Diesel also sells um, their own version now, um, but they're a torqued yield bolt. And just out of, I've done so many of them that finally one day I was like, I just want to know what they're torqued at. So I got out a torque wrench and just started, I just started turning it up. And they, they average between 138 to about 147 foot-pounds torque on our, on our head bolts. On those ones, the aftermarket ones, they're basically it's a grade 10 bolt. Um, so throw those things in there. Um, don't do something that spools too fast. Uh, a good injector. Uh, you probably have to get the injection pump called benched and flowed. It's kind of like if you guys send your injectors in to get them cleaned and they put them on little testing ends and they do them. Well, we send Make our sure whole injection. Make sure can use enough fuel or push yeah. enough fuel to for your horsepower expectation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we get a lot of people that, you know, they, they mod their injection pump, but the problem with modding your own pump, so you can go fast with modding your own pump to a point. You're, you're going to hit at some point whatever that thing was calibrated for, that's all it's going to do. Hmm. And you're going to have to send it in and get it recalibrated to a, to a higher number. So you can do called gov springs, so they can re increase the engine RPM that it will rev to. We can put called bigger DVs in it, which just do, they add duration, so you got to be really careful with that. You need enough heat in the chamber to burn, you know, basically make that long duration light off fast enough. So we usually stay, we stick with a small delivery valve and as big of an injector as you want, usually a five by 16. This is where you, maybe you'll laugh or not, I don't know. But we, the terrible part about diesel is we rate all of our injectors by hole size. It doesn't tell you much of anything, but that's how it's been for like the last 25 years. Um, so, but no, that's what say, I always hear fire punks like 135s, 165s, but I'm like, that means nothing to me, but go ahead, guys. <laughs> yeah, so, for like the 12 valve stuff, it's all going to be, it'll be like a 5x14 and a 5x18, which basically means there's five holes in the injector and they're 0.018. Ah, well, and that's that seems five. very logical. Uh, well, the problem is, is, it doesn't tell you if there's any called body or pintle work. So, like the lift pintle. A lot of the a lot of the injector builders that build these really nice injectors can do custom pintle, basically grinds or machining, um, that'll let that injector flow more and flow better with the same size uh, orifice size. Ah, interesting. So the nozzle seems easier to understand, but it's completely irrelevant based off of the pintle design. Yeah, yeah. So. That's what I mean. We get a lot where it's like I got a five by sixteen, and I run on the dyno, and you know, makes four eighty. And they're like, but I got like a, I got someone else over here did seven hundred with this injector, and it's like I haven't ever seen that one do over this on our roller. You know, it's all it's, you're probably doing pretty good. A lot of times, I tell people you're actually doing, even though you're upset for what you have, you're probably actually you're doing a pretty good number. You know, more often than not, it comes to, we see the stuff that has less money put into it do better on the dyno than the thing that has, like, every part in the catalog. Overdoing it, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's funny how I run into the same thing. And uh, a guy named Bradley T in here says he, he rebuilds and tests diesel pumps, and DIY modding them doesn't work out very well for most people. <laughs> yeah. What, is he, we, what we found is... I always call it the internet idol. So you'll get like the one person on the internet that does really well. And now because they did really well, that means that every other person with that same parts package can do the same thing. 
Um, and that's more often than not, not true because I was once that person. I always kind of t- tell people too, because sometimes like, no, 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 you know, I'm not that person. I'm like, I was that guy. I bought the big injectors, the big turbo, the big everything. Ran on a dyno and it made 388. And then two years later, I bought my own dyno. I was like, we have our own dyno. So now I know we can learn how to run it and it's going to do great now. The most I ever made on my own dyno with that same package, I think, was like 367 or 374. Could not do more than that. Um, so at that point, I had to say, well, if the dyno is actually right, and I'm screwing this truck up, how do I fix it? And this way, so kind of getting into understanding the diesel process, how turbos work, how injectors work, how like diesel fuel itself works in the chamber. It's very dynamic. That's what I like literally on some of this mechanically or even with diesel in general, you could almost have two tunes for winter and summer if there's a big enough swing in outside temperature hmm. because of in, um, yeah, ignition delay in the fuel type itself. What did someone ask? I thought someone said something and I wanted to ask to it. Uh, anyway, we'll just jump on. Uh, this one's good. It says, why do diesels make more power with smaller turbos compared to gasoline counterparts? counterparts with the same or similar displacements and i would say it's rpm band and you fill in the rest uh, R- rpm and we don't have an afr limit that we have to stick to so we can crank the boost up really high at a really low rpm because there's basically the afr is unlimited in the high side of things basically you can you can make the afr spread apart like you can go 100 to 1 if you could as long as the thing doesn't turn off um, and then the lower side of things, diesel does have a lower AFR. And the lowest, the stoic, stoic number for diesel fuel is 14.7 to 1. I just say 15 to 1 because it makes it a lot shorter to say. Yeah. Um, but 15 to 1, we can basically take it from 25 to 1 and go down to 20 to 1. And then from 21, 18, and we keep lowering the AFR and keep picking up power. The issue becomes is that with, say, mechanically injected stuff, or even a Comrel with a lot of called US microseconds duration. Um, with a lot of duration, you can't really get too far below about 20 to 18 to 1, somewhere in that region before it starts to, to haze and then smoke. The closer you get to stoic, the more the darker the smoke will become. So that's kind of a problem, too, is that because peak torque occurs in the smoke region, you do see the, the smoke stuff more often than not just because it's it's hard if if like you gave someone a car and then like had all this power and then they're all well um would you would you like it to be clean or would you like um this power and most younger people choose the power over it burning clean so that's where we kind of um the diesel community though has kind of been self-policing that really well mainly because of the the racing scene has become a lot cleaner and that's, and that mainly with nitrous. The nitrous has made the racing scene cleaner, and then because it's cleaner and more people are doing better tunes, it's traversed into the the street side of things. Where if anybody does kind of roll coal at all, usually the community kind of shuns on that now more than cheers for it. Yeah, they're making a bad name for. I've said that before when people brought up EPA stuff, and everyone's like man everyone's hating on us and i'm like you guys you guys made your bed like i had no sympathy for those people i'm like it's like people that are like why can't we meet in parking lots i'm like you know what because honda guys show up and they're banging the rev limiter and driving over curbs and being total assholes 
and no mm-hmm. one's stopping them. So it's everybody's yeah. fault now. And then when someone sees 12 cars, they're going to assume that someone's going to run into each other trying to drift a 91 Civic, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, me soapboxing forever about it. And I'm like, it's your fault, like you said, for not policing your fellow people and letting them act retarded and etc. And I think I said before, like, if you want to have a car meet, have it somewhere that a municipality agrees. And you know what? Take a dollar donation for some sort of charity. People won't show up. Mm-hmm. They don't want to spend a dollar. Mm-hmm. It's, say a dollar or more. And then you give it to the police or the fire company or a children's hospital. People yep. won't show up. They won't bang their rev limiter. Like, they won't even spend a dollar to do something dumb as shit. But they will show up to a sheets and ruin your night and everybody else. And then that's all people see. Is like, I was trying to get gas at sheets and some kid drove 75 miles an hour past my kid at a gas pump for no reason. So I want everybody with a loud car to go to hell. And that's where Mm -hmm. we are right now. Same with diesels. Yeah. Uh, one guy blew smoke on a 14-year-old blonde girl, and that's unacceptable. And now everyone, you're all assholes, and that's all. That's all it was. Yep. You're all done now because everybody yeah, let that it, guy do it. And it's and the big thing too is that, like I said, it, it, the power level goes up when you do it to a point, set so up to 15 to one, and um, it's fairly easy to do, especially with the older mechanical stuff. I think a lot of those trucks from the factory came with about a 25 to one. AFR from the factory, so we're not very far off of where the haze and smoke regions are at. Um, so it doesn't take you can you know you can turn up a pump and it'll smoke because we're so close to that region. You know, in stock form, you could smash it and it'll do a little puff. I um, mean, if we do all the math, we end up being probably right about twenty-five to one at that power level. So if you just turn it up a little bit, now you're already at twenty to one, and then um, eighteen to one. And it starts to smoke and it, and it just kind of looks bad. But so that's where we kind of came in looking at like turbo. And the other part of this though, too, is there's not in the turbo technology wise, we haven't had anything for diesels that was that spooled fast enough and had EGT control in it, could make a lot of pressure without blowing up and it was robust. So there's a big hole in that market. Everything that was out there spooled slower so like if you picture kind of this situation i go buy bigger injectors for my truck so the computer if it's common rail or even say the mechanical system it doesn't know that the injectors are bigger it still meters in the same say 800 microseconds but the injector is bigger flow has got bigger so the more fuel goes in the chamber and then on top of that i put on bigger turbo so now the thing's full slower so i got less boost per rpm until 2500 and before i had boost at 1500 and I don't know really how to tune anything. I just put it all in there and I go. It's now it's already dirty on the bat. So we kind of like looked at that and like let's get something that spools fast, has a wider RPM range, and makes decent power for the most part. You know, we cover from 500 to 800 the tire. That's most most setups, and it's been it's been doing really good as far as the customer doesn't even have to do anything to get the truck to run cleaner. I mean, we've had. Some people complain that the smoke's gone, and I was kind of happy about that. <laughs> like, all the smoke's gone, and I was like, good. It's like, how do I get it back? I was like, you don't. <laughs> I, know, I know that's uh, like Gail Banks. Years and years ago, I remember uh, him saying, like, you know, he could make 800 horsepower, and uh, he had that Pikes Peak car and some other stuff, mm-hmm. and it would barely make any kind of smoke at all, almost nothing. 
Like there's some there's some Nissan Ultimas I've seen fuel smoke out of a stoplight more than that thing. So. Hmm. Um, well, like what? Like what? A, the only thing is that's a little bit of a disconnect is the the stuff that banks does is tends to be very expensive. Um, so it doesn't really fit like the what the majority of people could even do if the opportunity was presented. Um. And he I think turns it's just because he does so much high end, he doesn't really yeah. care about most people. <laughs> but it's, yeah, but it's difficult. Like I was kind of, some people kind of get up at you about banks. I mean, my own dad is a hardcore banks guy. Um, but some of the stuff that he says is kind of hard for the average person to accomplish with what they can afford to do. Kind of like your burnouts and ice cream deal. You know, Mr. Banks is nothing can smoke. And I was like, well, for nothing to smoke, you know, these people kind of got to have a little bit more money. Yeah, the, the economy aspect of that is unobtainable at some point. Mm -hmm. Versus, you know, getting something that's pretty fun. You can go to the Wednesday Night Drags or you can go to your local polling track and go have some fun with it. Yeah, so it's not going to be smokeless, but it's going to be very good and people won't complain mm -hmm. uh, for, the, for the price. So, oh, so... This one's a pretty good one. What diesel pickup do you recommend buying that needs to be at least five years old to, and to be able to afford it? That's a good question. Like, everything seems like it's outrageously priced. Um, okay, well, anything common rail, basically we kind of tell people anything that's common rail injected, um, put enough money away to buy a set of injectors and put enough money away to at least um, do like a home job and, and like a re-ring. Some of those things have ring gap issues from the factory and they're out of warranty so you're going to be stuck with the bill if they do go huh. so those are the um, most common things other than that they're reliable when the injectors work yeah yeah so the the, the thing with the injectors is because the cylinder pressures are so high or uh, it's not cylinder pressure um injection pressures are so high even like um, like micron sized particles move at a rate so fast through them that it can beat them up hmm. um, so Usually, we like to tell people every 100,000 miles about is usually you want to get those injectors inspected because you don't want them to fail and knock out a piston. Because when they go bad, they'll, like early on, the early tuners that just put more timing in the common rails, they were basically water jet cutting the piston bull lips off of them. Huh. It, was a, it, would er it would erode the bull lips. That's something I never considered is the injection pressure is so high that it can cut the mm -hmm. piston. That's a yeah, lot to yeah. take in there. Holy shit. Uh, yeah. The other thing was, so you don't recommend any brand. They're all good as long as the maintenance is up. Yeah. Um, it really kind of depends on, too, like what you're, I always tell people, like, what are you okay working on? If you're a diehard Chevy guy, there's a couple of parts on that on the Duramax that are 15, 18 hour jobs that are kind of you know, like a water pump. You have to take off the entire accessory dry off the truck to get to the water pump and the turbocharger. Everything off the top of the engine has to come off the turbocharger. Uh, once you start modifying them, they're easy to get to. But at the same time, too, I kind of I do understand those parts aren't failing all the time. So if it is an 18-hour job, it's an 18-hour job every maybe 10 years. So usually it's not like that big of a deal. They Everything looks a lot worse than it is on the Internet. You know so I mean? is, I mean, I would say, is a Cummins way easier to work on simply because of the engine layout? Yes. Yep. I would assume so, yeah, because like you said, I've seen power strokes where everything is smashed into the top, Duramax, the turbo, and everything's on the top, and that seems like, I mean, I know they did it for space, 
But I'm like, why the hell did you pack all of that in like the Lifter Valley cover? You know, uh, it seems dumb as hell. But what do I yeah. know? I got, like I said, we got friends from all, like all the the Ford and Chevy side of it that have both. Like the, we've had some of the highest horsepower stuff on the dyno have been six O's that have been sprayed with a big shot of nitrous, you know, and they drove on, drove off. Over that was that horsepower. car that I said to you that almost pinned the damn dyno. I mean, it did over a thousand on fuel, and then he sprayed it, and it made like every bit of what the dyno could read without pinning it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he drove home. He drove up from Maryland to Pennsylvania and drove home like three hours, whatever. He didn't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, "How high does your uh, dyno read?" Blah, like a thousand on whatever, and then fourteen on spray. I was like, "Okay, wow." Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said, I'm not like anti any of them. I kind of always tell people I'm pro understanding the diesel event and making it work for you how you want it. So, like, a lot of times, it's like we've had a couple customers too where they didn't sell the truck. Because, I mean, we didn't even sell them a turbo. They called us up and said, this thing's, like, not drivable. And I was like, well, you have this. I was like, here's a list of parts that you can go order and do yourself and then see if you still want to keep it. And they would do this, you know, do what we instructed them to do. They'd put their own turbo together. And it was like, we get a message back, you know, the next week or so that this is the greatest thing they ever did and they're not selling the truck now because now it's actually enjoyable to drive. <laughs> it's not hot garbage. It's going to cost them $15,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so if you want like so ease of ma- ease, like ease of maintenance, the the Cummins platform, um, eighty nine two, oh seven is the easiest to work on. When they went to the six seven, that's when the engine bay started to get full of stuff. So that's five point nine liters, eighty nine two oh seven. Oh seven and a half is a six seven engine in a earlier model, model truck. And then they got to the fortune, I think, in 11 or 12 or 10. So when, I think it was, 20, it was a big deal in 2010, I think, on the count, new body style. Hmm. Um, but they've been 6, 7 ever since. And the only thing is be careful with first gens. Uh, everybody loves them until you own one. <laughs> yeah, 80, they seem 80, pretty crappy. 89 to uh, 93. So 89 to 91 will be a non-intercooled turbo diesel truck with a three-speed transmission and a 307 rear gear dog yeah so it's great for competing on actually we run a 410 rear gear uh, 410 gears in both the front and rear axle with a 727 but we don't drive it on the freeway you know it, it runs 4,000 rpms at 60 pounds of boost down a pole track and then it goes back on the trailer so it's great for that um 91 and a half to uh, 93 they did add an intercooler um, 92s have a ginormous turbine housing that is the absolute worst thing in the world. They work great for truck pole turbochargers, but they don't work great for street stuff. We take them and machine them out, and then they do, they'll do they breathe up to 35, 3700 RPMs. There is a... Here's a question which I think is... Oh, no, that makes no sense. Never mind. Nope, 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 nope. It's a bad one. Uh, people were asking about nitromethane in diesel fuel. Um, I think that's what we probably will start seeing at some point in diesel drag racing if it's needed. Uh, the reason, like I was kind of was talking to someone the other day about the fuel types, is a, a fuel type manufacturer is going to make a fuel that they can make money on. Um, so, when half the industry is, say, drag racing and half the industry is truck pulling, then you have to take into account that half the industry 
has a set of rules that say you can only have these modifications done to the diesel fuel. So they're going to make a fuel for drag racing and truck pulling, but it's going to have to fit all the truck pulling rules mm. versus trying to uh, trying to R&D two fuel types. Uh, from a business perspective, you'll, it seems to make more sense to just make one fuel type that kind of helps out both than developing two fuel types for one other. But I think we'll start seeing kind of homebrew fuels come about in drag racing and truck pulling called the Pro Pulling League and uh, National Truck Pullers Association, TPA. Adding nitromethane to your diesel fuel is outlawed. So usually when things are outlawed, it's too good. It means that they work. Yep. <laughs> BK, again, uh, he says, industrial injection is already experimenting with nitro. Oh, they, they, I mean, it's been, it's definitely been done in the past because both those polling sanctioning bodies have it outlawed. And if you are at one of these big events, typically they'll run sniffers on the crankcase and the fuel to check for it. If you, if you won. Of course, I've seen, like, because I know of Jose's work with forced inductions. He always looks at the rules and builds a class killer, and then immediately they outlaw whatever he made. So he's always mm-hmm. in that perpetual loop uh, because he's super smart and he can make the things in house immediately. So yeah, they'll be like, "You can't do this anymore," and he's like, "I'm gonna do this," and then they're like, "No, stop doing that," and then he's like, "Okay," and then he just keeps doing something different every time. There, there's a good one here. I want to get on to Firepunk when we're out of questions and just have people ramble about fire pump because i think what they do is cool and i'm happy that uh i'm happy whenever someone who knows about diesels like you that you're like i don't care about brand and whatever i'm like i've been watching them and it seems interesting and it seems like they're not brand loyal and i'm like hey i've been watching them to learn more and you're like yeah they're cool and i'm like okay good i haven't filled my head with garbage so they give away they give away a lot of the one thing like i said like i say is that they don't give away all the data that they do have, but you can't blame them for that as of well. Of course, as I'm sure that they're team. yeah, I'm sure they're doing way better than a lot of people. So that's uh, not a big get, deal. They do give away a lot of stuff that nobody else has said, but at least I've I've thought about and, and proposed questions about, and then started looking for them. And all of a sudden, they're in a video, either um, saying that what I found was right, what I found was wrong, or what they are saying and I didn't even think about. And interestingly enough, that's one of the, they probably talk about stuff that it, it doesn't matter so much what they're seeing, but it's how they're implementing it. So other people can't even do it. Even if they have the stuff, mm-hmm. they don't know how to do it. It's just like saying nitrous oxide makes power, but if someone doesn't know how to use it, it, it means almost nothing other than they're yeah. going to have to learn ground up. So uh, like One of the really cool things I heard Firepunk say, I want to say it was Firepunk, um, and I think a lot of the teams are now doing this, is they use nitrous for traction control. Because it has such an effect on the horsepower produced with diesel fuel, they can they, they pulse width modulate it um, to control uh, traction. That just blew my mind, yeah, because it's hard to, it's hard to, a big turbo setup's hard to light, and then if you have to pedal it, you're knocking turbo speed down. And you can't just throw ignition in and out of it like a gas engine. So, yeah, they've been, they, uh, so if they see it, they probably have a table where if there's a traction issue, they yank nitrous out and put it back in mm-hmm. when it's not spinning. That's wild. Yeah. That just, yeah, I'm going to be thinking it, yeah. about that for three days. Yeah, just because it, it just adds so much power on diesel fuel that you can literally 
it's like timing cut for you guys. You know, if you do Absolutely, a timing cut, yeah. you guys can drop 300 horsepower. It's the same deal with uh, with diesel. You can pull a spray out of the thing, and it'll it'll kill a horsepower. So similarly, on a gas engine, uh, same thing about slowing down the engine and the turbo. Uh, people will use like a dump valve and other things to get the engine speed and the turbo speed up, and then uh, because and then what they will run is what's called like an ignition retard on launch. Mm-hmm. So if you are leaving at three thousand and three pounds and the thing bogs out of the hole, and then you're doing four thousand and ten pounds and all it does is spin, you can do four thousand and fifteen pounds but yank eight degrees out of it and feed it back in under a, a second and you already mm-hmm. have engine speed and turbine speed built up and the throttle wide open and then the ignition curve is so fast that everything's already lit you're just not making enough power to burn the tire off so that's funny on nitrous they can probably light the setup and then yank mm-hmm. it and then feed it back in as they you know a second into the hit yep Cool. That's crazy. Like I said, I'm going to be thinking about that for... I'm going to be thinking about how to do nitrous for traction control on gas cars now. That's something I knew nothing about. Oh, yeah, I don't e- think you, you can't really cut like you can't really like cut a cylinder on a diesel. It'd be interesting to see what would happen. It's I don't just know going. They... It's already going. BK yeah. says, Matt, we already do all of that with diesels. Yeah. S- some of those things. Or we do all of those same things he wrote. I'm sorry, I read it wrong like three times. Uh, on our chat, on my dyno, say real quick, on my dyno, one of the guys that has the fuel only, it's I know fuel only is a funny thing, but fuel we did a fuel only record just because mainly for safety, to be honest, at a dyno event, you know, need a bunch of people nitrous spraying for a record. Yeah, for we've all seen the fireballs on the mobile dynos. <clears throat> um, so what he did is a fuel only thing, and what he did is he actually wrote a dyno tune for an inertia dyno that ran a uh, pulled a lot of timing during the spool phase and it was the probably the dirtiest thing you've ever seen but on the inertia dyno it, it allowed him to get the boost pressure up even higher than what you could foot break it and the thing did 1085 like an anti-lag with, yeah mm-hmm. just on diesel it looks it looks terrible though but it, it worked <laughs> and then uh this one's pretty cool uh, i thought about this too would a high hide blah would a hybrid electric turbo be good for cleaning up diesels on acceleration? Uh, I think so. Um, this is kind of maybe one of my gripes with Gail Banks is he did it a long time ago and then never did anything with it. Hmm. Uh, with with Garrett Turbo Technologies, their pusher F1 truck. F one is doing it now and a bunch of other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So his pusher truck for his land speed stuff, they needed more torque out of the hole with it, I guess. So they built a electric. Set up, they, used, they used a Garrett electric turbocharger back in the 90s, I'd, I'd imagine, um, and paired with the regular turbo on the manifold. And they could turn that on and instantly pick up torque because you could turn that on and then stomp on it. You know, It's like having a supercharger without the belt drive slapping this crap out of your bearings. <laughs> and that's one of the other questions I have reserved. Uh, what's funny is BK, I mean, a lot of people are running a dump valve, so that's, that's completely transmission separate from diesel gas, whatever. But he says, you know, we're doing dump valve too. And then interestingly, he says, we have a speed sensor now in our wastegate and dump valve, which is a LS drive by wire throttle body are controlled based on turbo speed. So we launch the turbo at about a hundred thousand RPM. So they wait till the turbo is going 100,000 and then modulate dump valve and everything else 
from there, which makes sense. You mm -hmm. want to get the turbo lit. You don't want to be waiting for the for drag racing if people don't know. You don't want to be yeah. waiting for the turbo to light. A lot of those people, when a, like I know on a big turbo drag radial car, they might be asking for 75 pounds of dome. They want 60 pounds in the manifold, and they have to wait for a second and a half to get it. And for a car that goes 370s, that's an eternity. That's a 30% of the pass, is they're mm -hmm. waiting for horsepower. So similarly, I understand uh you know the diesel and the fuel and everything is kind of lazy and slow you want to make sure the turbo is well into because i'm assuming the ones that are slow are just taking forever to light off uh, well too that's what you're seeing in the diesel industry is more and more people are understanding that they need to run and we try to recommend higher stall converters for a lot of these too but i try and tell people because they're like well they you know the shop recommends an 1800 stall i was like look with the 1800 stall in this turbo you're going to be sitting there trying to stage this thing, making a mess for like 30 seconds. <laughs> it's like the, like the two J's where they just scored a little bit of spray now instead of 10 seconds on a trans break. It's, mm -hmm. it's two maximum to make 60 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So then we try and like, you know, get, get like a 20, like a 23, 2500 stock converter. Cause really realistically now with most, so they are, they are, there's other stuff going on in, tra in transmission world, but for the most part, everybody's on the lockup trans and the, the amateur to maybe slightly whatever is in between their level of diesel drag racing. So for the most part, we're all relying on lockup to get down the track. So when we're relying on lockup, you can realistically kind of convert the thing wherever you want. So like, so converter wherever it's the safest, because once you get staged, um, especially if you can stage in, in diesel stuff or even maybe gas turbo stuff, if you can get in there staged and then get him stuck on the converter, it's like you're gonna win. Yeah, I was like, or or if you have a blooper and get out of it, and have to get back into it, um, you will be able to get back up on the turbo uh, in time to you know to hit the tree the right way. It makes sense. The lockup stuff on diesels is kind of is interesting because a lot of drag race people don't lock up. What they do is they dump or they have a two stage dump. So they'll dump both to to they, obviously when you're going two eleven in the eighth on a drag radial car, uh, you have a really tight converter. And you dump both, and then partway down they load one back in, and then they load another. So they're staging the transmission back in the whole way down the track to tighten it. So they almost have like a CVT. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, all that stuff's crazy. But that makes sense where just converter the hell out of it, get the thing rolling, and then when there's a certain mile an hour, just start locking that converter. Yeah, most of them you work with one guy that's 850 at the tire. And the thing will it goes in the lockup in second, so it launches first, and as soon as it goes in the second gear, so it's second gear locked, and then a second to third gear shift locked, and third to fourth locked. It's funny to think how simple a gas setup is to race than a a diesel mm -hmm. at this point when you're talking, because that's fairly advanced gas stuff we're talking about, and diesel guys are just uh, it seems like they're just implementing that. But it makes sense where gas guys have been doing it so long, diesel guys really are like, I'm just going to foot brake it forever and then launch. And whatever yep. I have, I have. And now some people are like, dump valve, this, that, turbo speed sensor, three-step, whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's what we kind of plan on doing. I mean, we get a bunch of crap for our 727 being a three-speed. Everybody wants us to put a 47. Basically, it's called a 47RE or RH. It's a four-speed with lockup. And I'm like... You know, to do build one of those to hold a thousand horsepower for what we're doing is going to be six to ten thousand dollars. 
Um, Similar to like I, uh, a TH400 bench built at your house versus buying uh -huh, an insane yeah. 4 lady like, E is quite a price difference. Like we built the 77 for like, I think we had, I think me and Spencer probably had under, I think, 800 to $900 in parts. And I've been building transmissions for, I'm not like Logan built or Hughes or anything like that, but I've been doing it. I did it long enough to have a pretty good understanding of it. So we built the 77 for a thousand horsepower and it's been fine. And some, we get questions like how do you get the shafts to live? I was like, well, we, we stalled it up. You know, we stalled at 2300 instead of like a low stall converter. So then when we do make the shifts under power, there's a lot more cushion in there with that higher stall converter than the lower stall. And that's but something, I do like, Oh yeah, keep going. Oh, I do like the idea. Um, we're going to do the dump valve for now, but it's a basic called a basic dump valve where it's just, we're just going to dump what we can out of the, out of the cooler, the cooler lines until we break it. And then once we break it, I'm like, I was like, I'm pretty sure we can probably drill from the outside into yep. the converter passage. The valve. And, yep. Just yeah. a nitrous jet. Yeah. I'm like, then once we do that, I was like, dude, let's stall this thing right back down to like 1500, 1400, and then just run a dump system on it. So we can just bring it back in as we need it. And it's like, and now we got a seven, two, seven, three speed that has like a converter slip percentage. That's real tight. And now you can now PWM that too. Mm -hmm. And then that's similar to now the popular thing with stick shift cars is a bleed valve. Because you can have a triple disc that just hammers everything so hard it breaks everything. Mm -hmm. And then it's hard to launch and it just breaks axles and breaks an input shaft. But you put one of those bleed valves on and nothing breaks and it's consistent and yeah, it's, it's a game changer. I think if we were drag racing, we would have to, you know, A518, which is the four-speed non-lockup. Or uh, 47, um, like we are doing in the other truck. But for truck pulling, um, just having lockup just sounds like a lot of, you know, it is, and it is a lot of broken parts uh, when you basically have, you know, a full, basically it's under full load for about 45 seconds and it's making uh, two shifts during that, having a non lockup setup. That especially if we get to the point, because uh, I listen to like a Hughes podcast, and I'm like, this sounds really cool. I'm like, I, I didn't, I had no idea that these Pro Mod guys were running like, an 800, like an 800 stall converter with like two dump valves on it or whatever, so they can drive them around on the dump valves. And then they would just uh, close off the dump valves to lower the converter stall as they get on the track. Yep, so you oh. can have a giant converter, or I mean, a, a really tight one, but it can be giant. He actually, mm -hmm. BK has a wealth of knowledge here. I love that he's been, he's like the only person in the chat posting. It's incredible. He says, uh, uh, he says both dump valves in the transom, one in the charge pipe, which is drive-by wire. And then he says uh, mm. they're doing the double dump and the dump valve on a charge pipe with boost pressure. I'm assuming to keep the turbo lit, they're dumping it to keep the turbo mm. speed up. And then he says they ramp it all back in, two stages of dumps and PWMing the the turbo uh intake charge pipe dumping and they do all of that in first gear putting it all back in that's insane to think about i mean how long i wonder how long uh the event is in first gear like how many seconds like under a second probably getting it all like a drag radial car it's got to mm -hmm. be all of that info is happening in a half to a full second and then that's it like basically in the 60 foot because uh, that's like we said eighth mile what does it matter if you're going to the quarter? The eighth has yeah. already dictated the entire win. 
Insane. Uh, then it locks and stays locked till the end of the quarter. 1.4 seconds max in first gear, he says, for double dump, double char- or a charge pipe dump, and double transmission dump. Pretty crazy. Just past the 60 foot. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. Really fast stuff. It's it's all happening really soon. I mean, like I said, if it's a high three car, one and a half seconds is more than 30% of your pass. And that's it. That's the decider. Our best 60 is a 1-3. Oh, how much how much is that vehicle weight? Is it a truck? But yeah. So we'll we'll move on to uh six thousand pounds, he wrote. Jeez. What is that? Do you run eighth or quarter? This guy does a lot of diesel stuff, apparently. Uh well he's a crew chief for a fast company, so that's what was kinda kinda fun is kinda hearing from your side of it. Like our other um, you know, YouTubers, podcasters is there is like this big disconnect between what's actually really going on in the diesel diesel industry right now versus kind of what was going on. So like what's portrayed, you know, we kind of portrayed as coal roads for a long time, but it's but up to current, we're running, you know, three nineties and four twenties in the eighth. Four four twenties and four thirties are basically consistent, you know. But anywhere from a 420 to a 46. You just don't further. hear about them. Like, you're right. I don't hear about it. I don't see mm-hmm. it at all. Oh, he says it actually runs 155 miles an hour out the back, geared out. Cool. Yeah, that's rolling for 6,000 pounds. <laughs> yeah. People were asking about twin charging, like uh, supercharger and turbocharger stacked. Um, Banks is playing around with that again right now. But there was a guy... Um, I'd have to look at the photo. There was a guy that did it back in the day that did that, and he had a big single charger going through like an Eaton. I think it was like an M80 or something like that. And it would make 120 pounds of boost with only 60 pounds of drive pressure because it only took, or, I mean, this was, was what was in the article, I should say. Uh, but it would only take 60 pounds of drive pressure to get that turbo to 60 pounds of boost, and then the supercharger was adding another 60 to it. So it would be an interesting situation where the motor breathes from an atmosphere that's at a delta double above what the exhaust delta is. So I'd imagine, like, in, maybe in that circumstance, like, cam setup would be, like, a different cam than what we would see in a normal turbocharged setup. I'm not sure, but it, it has been done um, successfully. Uh, well, that's what I mean. I guess I would ask the question, is a twin charge setup street feasible versus a compound or single like what makes more sense probably compound turbos because almost nobody really twin charges and if it did work more people would do it in my opinion mm-hmm. um i don't know what, like if the it probably has to have some sort of nitrous or water system on it i would imagine 60 pounds of boost out of a blower is probably pretty warm yeah, I guess that's the big issue is is blowers just make so much heat. Uh, I mean, even on the mm-hmm. gas engine in my opinion, they're just they're just spraying heat like crazy most of the time. Or you have to get a blower that's so gigantic it costs more to spin it than it does to make power. Mm-hmm. It's oversized. Or Thanks. Well, yeah, there's just all sorts of I feel like Wars, yeah. blower cars are just throwing belts or spinning belts or to make any decent power, the blower takes so much drive that it's shredding belts. Well, that's kind of interesting, too, is like um, so, some people like them, some people don't like them. I don't know. The info he's given out, as far as I can tell, seems all be good. But like Tom Nelson and Nelson Racing Engines, 
I mean, he talks about what the bear, like the crank bearings look like on a blower motor versus a oh, turbo yeah, motor. It's that people don't realize this, that it's pulling on the snout. When you have to tighten one of those belts to where it won't slip, and if you understand at all what that is doing to the front main, you're like, wow, you don't even want to pull it that tight anymore. Mm-hmm. And then another with Real Street, um, as well as another one I was listening to, is turbos tend to keep the piston always loaded. Um, the dry pressure and boost pressure seems to keep the piston always under compression. Um, so the bearings are always pretty good. One of the things that was kind of interesting that I've heard said a couple times is, and it seems to hold relatively consistent, is that on these turbo systems, if you, like on the 2Js at least, when they're doing a bunch of RPM and a bunch of boost pressure, then you just let out of the throttle at, at the end of the track, and it just throws the, you know, it just tears the wrist pin right out of the, uh, the piston because all of the load comes off of the thing on one side the intake side and it just yanks it apart on the blower because it's it's spinning that unit so fast it's such a load what's well, that's what i would come back to so you see it on turbo stuff and they just let out of it but then on blower it's at all times and i've also heard it from a local engine builder the same thing where um, if they get the prime the primary is too big on a blower setup or the head the exhaust flow too high um, and Darren Morgan kind of, I think, elaborates a little bit on this with why he chooses the exhaust valve size that he does. Um, but even a local engine builder that competes with, you know, the methanol full tractor, big block engines, the mountain motors, um, when they get the exhaust blow up too high, it just, it'll just eat pistons. Oh, eat pistons also, or burn up things. My buddy Chris, and I've seen this actually, uh, I, I was, uh, privileged enough to get involved with my friend who has really fast cars early on and he says they make a support system for them now like a blower uh, he says you can break the snout right off of a coyote motor and i've seen and i probably have it in one of my really old videos from like 06 or whatever but i've seen like the the ford pushrod five liter engines and i've seen mm-hmm. a adjustable cam buckle from the crank like the front of the block set up up to the blower and you could preload it so it wouldn't pull on the snout so hard. I've seen that in the bracket setup to actually uh, put some load on the blower so it doesn't yank on the crankshaft as hard, but yeah. Uh, here's another one. Uh, well, this is a good one. Does Brad do any truck or heavy equipment tuning? I know it's rare, but it happens when I rebuild stock engines with delaminated rod bearings. Uh, I don't, but I, I do know some people that do. I don't know if they're still in, t- in that business or not. I haven't seen them in a little bit. But we've built some turbos for some guys. Some turbos are just fab- general fabrication for some people that do do heavy equipment, like reflashes and retunes. And this uh, BK, who's been going off, not for any bad reason, but been blowing down facts all night, he says, I should see if I can get Brian Loans from Hart's Diesel on. Which is funny, because Brian Loans, to me, is that uh, the guy that works for, like, Motor Trend or whatever. And he's, like, a he works, he does, like, he talks the whole time. Like, people are drag racing. Like, he's a mm-hmm. fairly well-known announcer, I guess. But uh, that's funny that someone is the exact same name that works at a different diesel. What I want to get is the Firepunk guy on, mm-hmm. Landon or whatever his name is. I think you get, like that would be a really good episode just because of the two sides of the tuning spectrum would get to go at it. 
Yeah, he just yeah. has an extreme knowledge in my just the like you said, the fact people are just like whatever, whatever, and he has all of the stuff in his head. He's like, We did this, we did that, we did a separate tune up, blah blah, microseconds, blah, 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 CP, whatever dual CP he's like millibar was falling off, blah blah. You know, like I'm like, wow, he knows everything. And I'm wondering, does the stock computer have that much data that he can just see it all? Or do they have external data logging? And that was going to be another question for me. Do you have some setups where you can't get enough data, where you have a secondary data acquisition device on on top? Uh, We mainly deal with the mechanical stuff (laughs) or a very limited amount of electronic control stuff. So 98.5 to 02. And it's usually an onboard data acquisition setup. uh, with the, there's a company, there's actually another place. Well, if you want to use anything, that's what's made it really easy, I guess, is because the computers are so smart, um, as you know, with all the EFI stuff, they know exactly what's going on for the most part. So a lot of these new OBD2 um, monitors that you can plug in, they have a lot of those have data logging functionality. So like the Edge CTS2 and Edge CTS3, it has a. It can data log whatever the ECM gets and PCM gets. It can do a line graph of it over time. And can you export that to like a CSV? And okay, um, and then, I think so. Yeah. My other question about that is usually on an OBD2, the ECU is like frame rate limited. So the more fields you're logging or PIDs, the slower your frame rate is, or samples per second, or whatever you want to call it frames per second, et cetera? Um, I wouldn't be probably the best one. Well, like you said, you do a lot of mechanical, so that's a shitty question. Yeah. Yeah, We mainly just look at, we look at EGT, uh, EGT boost pressure and uh, mile an hour fuel pressure, stuff like that. Oh, he says, sorry, Matt. I had two things on my mind. No idea why I wrote Brian in there. Steve Hart is the guy who owns uh, Hart's Diesel. That makes more sense. I'm like, Brian Loans is an announcer, and that would be very strange if, if he had the exact same name as a diesel owner. Anyway, yeah, so that's those are, like, where some interests I have because I have, like, uh, with HP tuners and stock ECU stuff that I know of, if you have an older ECU and you're trying to log as much stuff as you want to see, your frames per second is so low that you can't really see what's happening. It'd be like having a radial car that can only record three frames per second. So you have nine mm-hmm. data points on a three-second pass. And you're like, okay, this is useless because so much has happened in three seconds. You want 100 frames or 100 hertz or whatever. Yeah. Oh, Hartz makes Larry Larson's 145-millimeter single turbo. <laughs> That's all I need to hear. That thing's massive. Well, there's a, so as far as, like, the big dogs go, there's a couple of big dogs in, in turbocharging. And what's kind of cool is a lot of our turbo tech has came to ProMod and the street stuff. I mean, to, to the, probably the only reason we're starting to see bigger turbine than compressor wheel setups, like, like I say, like a Precision 62-68 and... Um, what is that? They got like a 78, 88, and all these sizes where normally a lot of the gas stuff was always bigger compressor, smaller turbine. But all of, of a course. sudden, and oh, when the class becomes limited to the compressor you can run, they now we're starting to see up. turbines go up and the power potential of that or the horsepower capacity of that 
um, compressor wheel, we now see it wasn't even fully utilized with a 6262. A 62-62 still left power on the table. Um, so we go to a bigger turbine to gain engine VE and go up. And a lot of that has come from the competitive turbo diesel world because we run so much. And it's, a, it's more of a boost pressure thing. So it's when the boost pressure start to get up there. You're gonna, you, have, you need more turbine than compressor to rotate that compressor faster. More leverage. Mm -hmm. Just something yep. I learned. Sometimes a bigger turbine spools faster and works better. Counter uh, intuitive to what you would think and what I learned. And then also, I think the rise of that large turbine stuff has made huge leaps for like uh, imports too. Uh, similarly, mm -hmm. you're working at such a weird pressure range having the bigger turbine because I've noticed stuff like Real Street has thousand horsepower turbos for like three liter Supras now, and they're like 7888s. Mm -hmm. They're like a little bit off, like you said, of what you would expect. They're a smaller compressor, but again, they I guess they figured out they were underutilizing a big compressor and it was making it slow to spool. Yeah. And then at some point when it would light that they didn't have enough backside to continue horsepower without choking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that kind of too, the other thing, I do like what uh, I think you had the, an interview with Robert Young. Yep. Uh, force yeah, force performance. Um, yeah, I like the I like how he stated it. Where basically two the other. I mean, one, if you're not going to run a lot of boost pressure, but you are going to run a lot of engine speed, then the turbine wheel can get smaller because um, you're not trying to drive the compressor very hard. And then two, if you just want something that's very safe that you don't have to worry about over speeding. The thing goes inefficient before the compressor can get going so fast it becomes dangerous. Yeah, and then he was saying, uh, always in uh, what I've learned over the years and what I've seen work is you want to stay away from like two to one. You want to get close to one to one. Uh, and then he's like, that's not always the case. If you have an efficient turbo design, two to one is where a bunch of them love to be. They'll make fantastic horsepower, and they actually have better average power bands because like they're spinning and working on both ends and i'm like uh part of that doesn't make sense to me but i believe you <laughs> so this might be something that you can maybe play with before i can or if you're interested in it um is expansion ratio which is just uh it's just like compressor rate uh, compressor ratio rather than it's the drive pressure versus the pressure on the back side of the turbine wheel um and this is how they rate the flow ratings on turbine housings and, and wheel selections because what's pretty interesting I, I never thought a housing really made a big difference until i did two housings one of them would maintain one-to-one -one for just about everything up to about 3300 rpms to 3700 rpms it'll hold a one-to-one -one pretty good um, and then i made another housing that was even smaller than this one and it was a lower horsepower rating it runs like two to one at all times so the same rotor assembly it's they're both the same size turbo wheel and compressor wheel just but the housing. the housing yeah just the housing changed and now it runs two to one at almost all times but there's no egt issues and it makes the horsepower that we expect to make and that's what robert um, was saying yeah you can have a better uh, mm -hmm. setup and i mean that makes it makes a little bit of sense because I've done like 7875s make fantastic power all over. And then you go to like a billet 8088 T6 uh, from the T4, 96 or 125. And you go to a 8096, 135 T6. And it has uh, almost the same 
horsepower per pound, almost the same final horsepower, but mm. takes longer to light it, but has fantastic back pressure, but all the horsepower figures are nearly the same. So part of that yeah. in your head is like, why the hell is this happening? But that it makes sense. Like what he's saying is, uh, you know, it's, it's relative uh, at that point for amount of power or power band and all sorts of things. What we found though is like, um, there is like, it's always kind of, I mean, if we're talking about like turbochargers at all, is that a turbocharger had to be designed by somebody, you know, like they didn't just like CFD up a turbo and say, here you go. So yeah, it always it's application helped. specific, obviously. Yeah. I was like, at some point someone said, I need, uh, I, I have this engine it needs to make this much power, this engine speed has this many cylinders, you know, so, you know, the displacement per cylinder, we know the turbo is going to be mounted in relation to the exhaust valve to the turbine wheel. The engineer gets all this data and then they're given the task to build a, or a, generally speaking, a turbocharger has to be reliable and and do everything that's asked of it. And then we come along and say, we want to put that turbocharger on something else. And then either one of two things happens, it works really good, or we complain that this turbo is a piece of crap. <laughs> yes. When you um, improperly so we, size it and you hate on it. Yeah. So what we found is generally changing the AR of a housing doesn't have that big of an effect on the horsepower potential of a of a of a rotating assembly. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, you can go like as long as the the you can, say say if it's a thousand horsepower compressor wheel. And you went from like a 132 to a 158. Well, it's still only going to do a thousand. It's just going to do a thousand a little bit later. Because you're going to sell the compressor max. But we had a case where we had a compressor, let's say, good for 600, and we changed the housing on it, and it went from being good for 600 to 400. And then we could actually go bigger. So there's a, it's a six centimeter, then there's a nine centimeter. We do a centimeter for all this. Yeah, that's always stuff. one thing that these. I was going to say so. What is the centimeter to AR ratio? Are they just totally different in a diesel where it's not comparable? Uh, totally different, and they're they're frame based. Like just so like a like a AR ratio is is foot based. So if it's a T four point um, nine one versus a T three point nine one, they're going to be two different actual size yeah, it's housing. It's like a tire ratio. I tell people. Mm -hmm. Um. So same with the centimeter stuff. Other than instead of being foot rated, it's um, it's we call it frame size related. So, if you had an S three hundred with a seventeen centimeter, and then an S four hundred with a seventeen centimeter, the S four hundred is bigger. So it follows the frame, not the foot size. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. In that case, which makes sense. Uh, uh, same uh, thing with gas. Yeah. So then, so we have a six centimeter, two to one, nine centimeter, one to one, and then we go up to a twelve centimeter, and it would go back the other way to not being. It would go. The drive would come back up again. So we kind of found out that there does seem to be an optimum what we what most what an engineer calls an angle of attack, which is the angle at which the gas enters and drives against the turbine inducer. Um, so there is like an optimum spot for that to be uh, to get the most work done without adding any additional work from the from the flow itself you know you turn the engine rpm up or put more fuel in it to increase blade it. design mm -hmm. yeah so i kind of tell people it's like a, a, everything's designed to do something and so like if we look at a a kind of a lower this is still a, this would be on a diesel set i don't think i have any gas oh so bk just says on nitrous we're well over two to one and on fuel we can just barely hit one to one it's crazy how much exhaust volume it adds 
One thing that I'm really interested now since you saw that is my buddy Cameron has that Crown Vic that goes high eights on a stock bottom end six liter. And we we have been spraying it on and off. And now my curiosity uh, is peaked on what is back pressure on his non-spray versus spray passes. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, like you and I know, uh, that's why when you do E85 is a bit of a cheater on a gas engine because it creates more exhaust gas. So you can spool a better, a bigger turbo at the same as when you were on gas. And the mm-hmm. same is for a methanol car will light big turbos on a trans brake way faster than gas C16 or whatever. Uh, so that's an interesting thing. Obviously, we know nitrous just slams the hell out of it with exhaust volume. So I'd be interested to see now his back pressure data versus spray and no spray. But yeah, sorry. Angle of attack, I think you were after. Yeah. Yeah, I was just saying, like, different housings, there does seem to be, like, a, an ideal spot for it to be. Um, it's, but a lot of times it's hard to find, like, as far as if the, if the compressor is the maximum value or not. But that's kind of what we do with the turbo diesel stuff, is there seems to be a lot of the turbine housings that are out there for the S300s, which is, like, the most popular one. Um, it has a hard time running above 40 pounds of boost without EGTs getting out of hand. And a lot of these setups need to be able to get to 40 pounds of boost to run clean, if that makes sense. Because they, if they want, if you want to say, if you, if you have 2,000 engine RPM and it's running 25 to one, and then you increase the fuel with a bigger injector or, or a, a hotter tune, um, then the boost pressure has to go up at that same engine speed to keep the AFR at 25 to one. So you can also see where, like, because this high AFR that has to be maintained to keep it clean, it does start to get really hard. Uh, to maintain that so will i mean uh, diesels are backwards from gas in a sense tell me if i'm wrong where the fuel adds egt on a diesel and on a gas if you dump it with fuel it'll basically cool it off to a degree um i would would say correct but as long as if you're keeping in mind like a duration part of it that makes sense. Yeah, like you were saying, the duration is far more affecting than, and the injection mm-hmm. timing and duration is far and above the fuel ratio. Yeah, because we've we've recorded, um, you know, trucks making close to eight fifty, a thousand wheel, that are running a fifteen O AFR completely clean, and we had to without without the injection spray. timing was smaller. You were using less fuel. Yep. Yeah. So it was a very short injection window or injection event that this thing had with a ton of boost pressure and uh, the methanol, we had methanol spray set up on it. So it's a water meth setup and the methanol will actually pick up the flame speed. It's harder to get it to go off. So you gotta add timing to it. But once it does go off, it'll it'll accelerate that flame a lot faster. Now that's so interesting. Uh, Cameron did ask that earlier, but I, th- I thought we covered it with propane and stuff, but he did ask about water meth, straight meth, water injection. Uh, on top of all of the other propane and whatever else? Um, competitively, uh, like water, we don't really run straight methanol. It just gets too hot. Uh, the burn temperature goes up. And it tends to get, uh, another thing too, I think what it is, is that it's hard to get it to uh, mix that heavily in the chamber. Um, so it does create a lot of rich zones for us, I think. Oh. So it just get, it'll heat the ringlands up. So we it's do actually mix. bad to, to just squirt water meth on a stock one. It's a bad idea. Well, I would say don't run straight methanol. Oh, okay. People... So is there a benefit? So if you bought like a snow performance kit and you put, mm-hmm. I like 
I like to laugh and say I, I tune on washer fluid. And a lot of times I'll just buy the negative temperature because people are like, well, how do I know how much alcohol is in it? And I go, well, swish some in your mouth. And they would laugh like I wasn't serious. And I'm like, if it burns your mouth like Listerine, obviously there's a bunch of alcohol in there. And the blue stuff is just like water. There's nothing in yeah. it but blue dye. So yep. uh, obviously like the neck, I call it Prestone piss water, the bright yellow negative mm -hmm. 40 degree Prestone has a ton of alcohol. It burns your mouth. Like there's a ton in it. So we would tune on that, that straight yellow stuff, and uh, it would work really well. So part of my question would be like my friend Cameron, who said, how do I pick up some power around towing and everything else? And BK was helping him out with compounds and some other stuff. But uh, could you just add a snow performance kit that turns on like a PWM? So say it starts at yeah. 10 and is wide open at 40 pounds with washer fluid or like half and half a lot of other times i tell people to buy straight rubbing alcohol like a liter of each and mixing it in your tank in your trunk and then you have 50 50 alcohol water mix so mm -hmm. if you have a completely stock or a mildly tuned diesel truck wood spraying water meth mix on top of a totally stock tune-up help at all Mm, I would think on a, on a totally stock truck, it would gain maybe, like, I don't, I would kind of be careful with horsepower numbers. I would say it would gain a little bit because you're adding methanol. You're adding fuel externally to the event. So it's going to pick up whatever you add in methanol to it by weight and, and probably not as efficiently as if you put the methanol in the diesel fuel and injected it. But like we talked about that, you'd have to add lubricity to the fuel. And Interesting. All that yeah, because it would dry it out. Um, Similar, it does the same thing on gasoline. Uh, mm -hmm. You can't leave that stuff in there. You have to, like, that's why on those methanol cars, they have those fuel switches to shut the fuel off. So it's not sitting in the damn thing. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, with with water meth injection, the big thing where it does start to make it, the, basically the, the more boost you run and the harder the compressor outlet temps get, the better it works. So that's kind of why I do see a lot of the, the spark condition stuff. You know, there's always a debate about it. Does it work or not? And they're like, oh, it works okay, but it's not worth the money. And a lot of it kind of comes down to is they're not running nearly the amount of compressor outlet temperature that they need for it to really work that well. To burn the diesel. That's funny because on gas you want fairly low so it doesn't pre-ignite. But having... Well, it's a, um, I always kind of tell people it's going to be hot no matter what at 60 pounds of boost. Um, so we have to account for it regardless. So 60 to 80 pounds of boost, it'll run like on a super farm stuff like a 530 cubic inch engine with a Hartz turbo. Um, by the end of the track, it'll be about 530 to 600 degrees on the compressor outlet temperature. Um, and they'll run on those charge pipes because they're not allowed to run nitrous. So we'll have like four to four to six stages of water injection before the air to water intercooler. And then after the wa air to water intercooler, we'll have another four stages of water injection and then one water nozzle per cylinder wow. to tune the cylinders. That's insanity. So how do they turn on all those stages? Do they have a giant nitrous controller, or is it specifically a diesel water spray controller? Um, it's like it's kind of like a, I don't know what it was. Maybe maybe it is originally a water injection thing, but it's a Simpson. It's a big Simpson solenoid, um, flow pressure solenoid, and it's based off of boost pressure as far as when it kicks on. So very and similar use... to snow performance with the on and off full amounts uh -huh. of PWM. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The only difference is it's a belt drive off of a, like a dry sump pump. So they that run about makes 600. Because of the volume. Yeah, so they run about 600 PSI versus 100 to 200 PSI. 
with the small stuff. And uh, they'll, they belt drive it. So it's a lot more volume. They'll, usually, they'll typically burn more water than, than diesel fuel. So that, that's what I was asking is how to, you said stages, but you just mean stages of injection. So mm -hmm. it's just a mechanical thing spraying all of those, similar to like a fuel car. It's just yep. mechanically juicing everything. Yeah, and then it has the like maybe a barrel valve, which would be your solenoid controlling the spray yep. amount. That's the craziest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> um, What's they, the craziest thing you've ever seen? Oh, like 14 water injection nozzles on a plus the air to water intercooler. But they said it gets about 600 degrees by the end of the track. And on the data logger, because they all run race pack data loggers on a lot of these things, um, it'll be 600 coming out of the turbocharger. And it'll be about um, between 40 to 40 to 50 degrees going into the engine. Post all of the cooling systems. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then probably cooler than that in the combustion chamber because of the individual cylinder spraying. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible delta right there. What is that? 550 yeah. degree drop? Uh -huh. That's dumb as hell. But yeah, that's what I was like. How would you have a controller that runs 14 nozzles in stages? They just turn once. But you just meant staged of areas of injection. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah, you that, can tell, you that can... makes a lot more sense to me. You could have one controller do all of that. You can tell when they screw them up because they'll when they come on too soon, it'll completely shut the engine off or it'll start it'll they'll start the white smoke real heavy. Like oh, white gray. is that what that is? So what is that? Mm -hmm. I've been to tractor pulls where it just starts pluming white smoke. Is that the water coming on too soon? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the water coming on. So when you burn diesel really, really cold, it it burns white like that. Just like a stove not burning hot enough, mm -hmm. it just plumes. Yep. Interesting. Wow. Wow. I'm learning so much, which is what <laughs> I hoped to learn talking to a diesel person that's not an idiot. Because people, they're like, more smoke, more better. You're like, okay, okay. That's why I'd love to talk to that firepunk guy, because just the the data, like when I start telling someone about Turbo LS stuff, and I'm a hobbyist, I'm not a professional in the least, and uh, I'll start spewing stuff that I know, and they're like, they glaze over. They're like, this is too much. I, I can't intake it all. So it's cool to have you say all that. But then yeah, I'm like, how the hell do you control 14 stages? What is turning on each stage? <laughs> but you're like, oh, a belt drive and whatever, and it's spraying them all the whole time. I'm like, okay, well, that's way simpler. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's kind of like the important, though, too, thing is, is that's why the truck pull and tractor pull stuff is always, there is always smoke because, because of how the AFR works. And because they can't run nitrous, they can't run any oxygenated fuels. They can, in some cases, run called a fuel called B100 um, or some cetane, like some modified cetane diesels. But they, by no means, are generally allowed to run an oxygenated fuel. To they just, they have all their fuel until the boost hits. Mm -hmm. Well, then, if, I, if you were in a competition in truck pulling, and the one guy running clean at 20 to 1 AFR was... You know, it was ahead of you, and you know you could win by going to eighteen to one AFR. Then the guy behind you knew he could win going to sixteen to one uh, AFR okay. as well. Okay. And, and because there's no way to clean that up because of the rule set, that's how it is in, in the truck and tractor pulling world. They run they call they call it running fat. Yeah, but they're gonna run that low AFR. So that's why because that's whenever I go to a pulling truck event, I always say, you know, it's not flying unless it has a chimney, which you said lighting the candle. So I'd mm -hmm. always be like, chimney fire, here it comes, chimney fire. 
blah, or, yep. you know, it would be chugging, like you white or black smoke, and then you see the orange flame, and then they dump the thing, and then that's it. Now, a pulling mm -hmm. truck, like a big tractor, is that, like, direct drive, or does that actually have an auto in it? Like, or is it, like, a top fuel where they just dump uh, a... It's a clutch. They have a clutch in there, and they usually have a you know a gear set. They usually a lot of those guys will run. I don't know what maybe the big PPL guys run, but a lot of those are like factory tractor gear sets with just hardened gears. They make aftermarket gear sets, so you can get quick like different gear sets for what you want to do. They usually have three they can choose from, like a three forwards and a reverse. So what transmission do they run? You said they have a manual. Do they well, change a bunch of gears while they're making the pull, or I feel mm, like they not dump just... one. Yeah, not just one. They just choose one speed to go down with. It's, just, it's whatever kind of came with that tractor. Huh. Yeah, they it's don't just break them. That's unbelievable to me. They don't snap an input. I guess because of dirt or whatever. I don't know. That that and the the parts are just huge. You know, uh, I mean, if we you know if you can build a turbo four hundred to hold four thousand horsepower, imagine when you can build a tractor transmission. Build, I guess you know? yeah, it's so gigantic. <laughs> it's hard to break it. It's like a Mack truck mm -hmm. transmission. What what can you do to it? Yep. Other than having ten speed uh dual deck eaten shifted thing in a drag radial car is gonna slow it down from all the shifts. And you might kinda of have a little bit of fun with this is we can kinda of go over maybe turbo setups for different classes. But you got like your single turbo classes, um, where the limit horsepower of the single turbocharger, and then then cubic inch limited, five thirty, six thirty. I think they might have one step up from that. Um, and then they go into like an unlimited where they'll have stages. Most of those classes can have either, they can have either, um, I want to say, okay, they have up to four turbochargers and I think they have, uh, I want to say it's four turbochargers and two stages, which is the, like the triples. They can have um, up to another, some of those can have up to another stage. So they'll compress it once and then compress it again to get up into the 350 BSI range. And then there's the, if you ever get to see them, they're probably the most wicked things because they have the least amount of rules is the, the super stock semi trucks. Um, those guys can have up to, uh, again, they're four, four or five turbochargers and up to three stages. So they'll run anywhere from 250 to uh, 350 pounds of boost on those things. Huh. It seems ridiculous. Um, but what is, what is cool to watch, though, is that when you take those diesel setups and you convert them over the methanol, have you seen the methanol ones? They have spark emission methanol tractors. So they run straight methanol in the diesel cars? Wow, yeah. I didn't know that either. Well, they're, they're converted. They got they machine the heads for spark plugs and everything. Um, oh, I, think, I but, think BK was talking about that. A ma they have a mag then. Mm-hmm, yeah. And it was kind of like what's interesting, and it really comes back around to the fuel type, is like if it was on diesel fuel, it takes two atmospheric turbochargers and a manifold turbo um, with all this... Uh, you know, 250 to 300 psi to get the thing that consumed 500 to 550 pounds a minute to make the power it's supposed to make to make uh, 4,000 horsepower on diesel. If you go to methanol, you can get rid of the top two atmos and go to a bigger manifold unit and reduce the boost pressure by half, if not more, just because of the BTE content and the methanol versus the versus the AFR it runs. So obviously, we know that methanol the BTUs are low, but the AFR lets us put a crap load of it in. Yeah, tons of exhaust gas flow, which is like mm -hmm. I said about uh, that's the big thing with uh, turbo technology, huge, and then uh, like Honda Civic, like sixty two sixty twos are like balling out of control, and then mm -hmm. E eighty five, and then everything else is just like a perfect storm for having 
like a pump ethanol 600, 700, 800 horsepower, two liter car. It's disgusting. Yeah. Actually, there's a guy I'd like to bring him up. Maybe we can have him on too. Uh, Miles from English Racing has, he just converted it to all wheel drive. He has an Integra that's right around two liters. I think he told me it might be a secret. It's right around two liters. It makes 1340 to the tire. Disgusting. Well, I've seen, um, I don't know if you see the videos from way back, but they finally got it in their car. It looks like is uh, Shane T has that, that compound system with two atmospherics and a manifold. It's a 1.8 liter, and that's going to do, they've already done like 23 to 2,500 horsepower on a 1.8 wow. liter engine. I have to see that too. Who's that? Yeah. Shane, I think it's Tecklenburg or Tecklenburg, but Shane T. Uh, Shane T tuning. I'm going to look at that too. Black Sheep, Ragged Edge, and Shane T. That's yeah, so Sh- he's been around forever. His stories are cool. He's, he learned how to, he got into the stuff um, by converting a Briggs and Stratton engine to like run nitromethane back in the day or something like that. So. <laughs> That's how, yeah, it gets dumb real quick and then you learn. Mm-hmm. That's how I learned how is we got, we did a lot of dumb shit and then we learned and we're like, oh, now we're cursed with knowledge. Yeah, that guy's, that guy's, he's doing stuff and like kind of your side of the industry. That's pretty cool. I mean, he's measuring like, he's figuring out how to like to actually see like in like the injector dwell time um looking at the spark dwell time and actually like having a graph plot out of it and he's doing a lot of really cool stuff oh yeah so that's so do you know about injector phasing on a gas car uh so i've been learning i kind of like that batch fire thing i kind of just recently understood and then so i would assume that i'd love to ask like is it similar maybe some guys can answer a BK or someone. So I would assume a diesel is basically like phasing gasoline injectors. He can answer that because you guys are changing the timing when the fuel goes in. So on a gas engine, you have it's taking a regular event and it's just spraying the fuel before or right around the time the intake valve opens. So it can be puddling and then just eat it on a port injection. Well, phasing mm-hmm. the injector is giving it the cam events. So then it has the window of when the valve is open. So if you phase it correctly, it's spraying exactly when the valve is open and going straight in with no puddling. So it doesn't have to roll in. And mm-hmm. funny enough, it also it banks on another ideal where if your duty cycle is really high, it doesn't matter because it's spraying past the window. But if you're underneath like 60%, the phasing makes a huge difference, especially at idle and cruise, because you can have an injector and a car and everything that's set up and running well, but it stinks. Like the exhaust smell is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And if you phase it correctly, it almost even if it's catless car on gasoline, you can almost eliminate the smell at idle. It's wild. And then I've had some cars on E85 and other things where... Uh, I did hits on a locked injector timing, and then we phased them and messed around. We picked up like 30-something rear wheel consistently with the phased, uh, phasing the injector. But Well, something I guess that's similar to that is they call it pilot injection, um, and the common rails do it. And what pilot injection is, is it's tuning the, um, how do you put it? It's tuning the compression stroke to be at an optimum temperature. Essentially, it's 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 a basically it's a pilot injected shot that's going to light off, but it's not nearly anything big enough to really do much of anything but put heat in the chamber. 
it's not enough to create any kind of pressure that's a negative, like a negative pressure is going to hurt anything. It just starts to warm the chamber up. And then from there, you fire the main event into this pilot injection event. So that's all the pilot I... injection event is burning off. Now we fire the main event into that, and it decreases the inject the combustion lag, basically, you know, what we were talking about earlier, the, the it, ignition lag. It's a lag. pre-burn, and then also it stops mm -hmm. it from slapping the rod as hard, right? Yeah, it, it quiets it down. That's why it's a new stuff. So much, that's one of the main reasons they're so much quieter is that pilot injection. I know when the Duramax came out, someone told me, I believe it was my buddy Ben Tyler. You ever hear of BT Diesel Works? I think so. Yeah, he does a lot of uh, plug-in, switchable, crazy CAN bus stuff. And uh, he was explaining to me how they have like the three injection events, and one is the pilot, and one mm -hmm. is like a full, and one's an afterburn. Sometimes I don't know yep. if I'm saying that correctly, but I know there's an initial one, and then a long with a power burn, and that's what makes them so much quieter, is because it's just not slamming it with the combustion event all at once. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's tuning. It's it's more. I always kind of see it. It's more predictable. If like if like from an engineering standpoint, if I could create uh, the combustion environment if i could do a pilot shot and now preheat that thing to a temperature that i know what it is so now when i do my main event i can calculate how long it's going to take to put the main event in the right spot so put cylinder pressure in the right spot um, it softens everything up so that main that main uh pop when the the main start of ignition with a single shot is not so loud plus i know what the temperature in the chamber is now um, everything gets more predictable, and they use that up to a lot of them use it up to about two thousand RPMs, eighteen two thousand, and then it, and then it, it turns matter. off of it. Yeah. So everything's happening too fast. For so that's work. similar to like obviously just spark advance on a gas car. Is you're mm -hmm. you're lighting it so that it burns the most without hammering the piston down, or yeah. pumping because a lot of stuff anymore with like E eighty five and other things, it's hard to tell the the tuning window is so gigantic. Uh, what you run into, what I run into more than ignition or detonation or anything else is pumping loss. You can put so much inject or you can do so much timing advance that you start slowing down the motor before it pre-ignites. Crazy. But you'll start putting in ignition and the power will start diving well before mm -hmm. it ever pings or breaks something. It's absurd. It's crazy how big the window is on E. Well, that's what I was, that was pretty interesting to hear. Like on methanol, a lot of cars will lose like five, eight hundred RPMs, and then like the nitro cars, they can. I think they can only get up to like eight. I mean, if I'm if I understand correctly, they can only get up to like eight thousand RPMs because the weight of the, the fuel slowing um, the motor the, down. It's uh -huh, crazy yeah, to think it, about stuff like that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Also, because they look at like heads and stuff. Everybody wants like the next greatest head for their turbo diesel, and I'm. I believed in that stuff until we started getting trucks that had heads and cams on on the dyno and they were doing the same power. And I was like, well, what's the problem here? Because they flow more CFM. I'm like, how are, we, how are we flowing or how do we have a head that flows 135 CFM making, a, you know, 1,000, 1,200 wheel horsepower? Yeah, it's like a lot of people doesn't make sense. Um, what I finally did was I got in there with some measuring tools and measured the cross-sectional area of the port in a few places and averaged it. And what was interesting is even though the head flow number is really low, the port velocity isn't 550 or uh, 0.55 Mach until 4,200 RPMs on like the 5.912 ounce. The, the head that everybody says is the worst head that there ever was, 
I'm like, these guys aren't, these guys don't seem to be stupid because I'm listening to these other head engineers saying they want 250 or uh, they want point or 250 feet per second here. They want 550 feet per second in this area. And I'm like measuring out this head and doing the math with the piston speed and bore size. I'm like, this stuff's lining up. Like that's kind of weird. And then on the peak torque stuff, we can put peak torque at 4,200. It's similar I can to put, where, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, or I can put it at 1,500. Because we found was the turbocharger is the choke point. So it's the turbocharger for turbo diesel is no different than like heads and cams for the gas engines. Yeah, you're limited by the. That's what people always are like. They're they're crazy building up the motor and they have like a fairly small turbo. And I'm like, what a waste. You know, I don't mean to be weird, but I don't think you're getting it, dude. And then honestly, if you build a big motor with that turbo, it's going to choke out sooner because you're trying to mm-hmm. put 400 cubes through a smaller turbine. And that's one that people don't get. They're like, but but motor bigger, motor bigger. And I'm like, yep. yeah, you're trying to squeeze more sandwich, you know, into a smaller blender here. And it's just not happening. Like if you're putting a tree stump that's in a grinder, like a like a wood chipper that's gigantic, too big for the wood chipper, it's going to stall them out or just not work. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, how, yes. do, how do we digress from? Uh, turbine to wood chipper but that's how people get it you know once they get the visual when you're trying to dump a a california red oak or whatever it is into your grandma's wood chipper it's just Mm -hmm. not working and i'm like yeah that's the same this is a drastic and wildly different oh someone some guy just wrote 11 pounds of shit in a five pound bag and that's where similarly like holdener and i i've done a bunch of tests where the shittiest cylinder head works the best and he's done a ton, like we call him the Great 62, an 862 cylinder head. People say it's the worst because it's a, it's, a, it's a stupid truck head and everything else, and it's got the smallest chambers and whatever. But uh, he's done tests, too, that the smaller chamber has more compression. And on a turbo, it doesn't care. It's smashing the air in. So the turbo dictates the power again. The cylinder head really doesn't care. Um, yep. It's just like it's a port speed. And I said, um, there we go, that is a, uh, yeah, we could put, so we could put peak torque anywhere from 4,200 to like 1,500 to 4,200 RPMs just by changing out the turbocharger. Yep. Um, so people put in like a big head and a big cam um, and then do a turbocharger that's good for like, a, you know, 600 horsepower, 800 horsepower. And the next thing that we run into with turbo diesel, especially the mechanical stuff, and then common rail is rail pressure, is you still have a pumping system that has to pump the fuel in. And that pumping system for like mechanical stuff has a pumping curve. So as the RPM goes up, it can pump more per minute, but it also has a peak. And then after that peak, it just goes flat. And then eventually it'll actually start to fall down. Um, so eventually we'll find that with the turbocharger and stuff like that. But like I said, my, my joke is that like an 855 cubic inch Cummins will run on a 55 millimeter compressor wheel. So like, because it's a 300 horsepower engine and we know that this little tiny 55 millimeter compressor wheel can flow an adequate amount of air to make 300 horsepower. The problem is the, the, six, the, six, point, or the six inch piston um, going through the exhaust valve is going to uh, just... Uh, blow up the turbine side of that thing yeah that's funny because that's what you run into that was what i learned too is to make big power i thought you needed a gigantic turbo but then as i learned like two liter three liter imports 
they have what I consider a small turbo, 60 millimeter, but they're making 800 mm-hmm. horsepower. Then I realize they have less to shove through the turbine. Mm-hmm. So the turbine is relative. So 96 is decent on a V8, but a 96 would never light on a four-cylinder, or it's very tough to, but now wheels are yeah. getting better. Uh, that really doesn't, I mean, part of that doesn't make sense anymore. But then, yeah, if you shove a 62-62 on a six-liter, which is essentially three times as large, it's going yeah. to be awful on the V8 yeah. car, even though it's capable of 800-plus horsepower on a two-liter. Um, kind of an interesting study that was done. They used just a pulse jet engine to do pulse frequency testing on uh, radial inflow turbine turbines, basically the turbine side of a turbocharger. And the, the pulse jet, it would have a pretty drastic effect on either the hertz of the pulse jet or the duration of each hertz, like a square wave. Um, would, would have an effect on the turbine wheel itself, the turbine housing and turbine wheel. It would have an effect on it up to about 3,000 RPM. So from 0 to 3,000, it looks like a line basically kind of traveling down this direction as far as its effect on the turbocharger itself. Um, but it's still, it's, we can look at the hertz, like a displacement per cylinder type of deal. You know, the bigger each cylinder is, the bigger each one of those pulse pulses are inside oh, that of that turbine sense. system. Yeah. It's like a lot of stroke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm curious so, to see with uh, the engine I built. It's a, it's like out of square. It's like a, it's a stroker, but a small bore, which I don't see a lot of people doing. So I, I assume like it's going to do a bunch of different things, but... Uh, one of the reasons why I went with small bore is people lift heads on LSs because there's only four bolts per cylinder. And so the other thing I did is I put aftermarket heads on. The aftermarket LS heads I have way two times what a stock one does. And then my builder was saying that the deck is, it's like 160% thicker than a stock deck. So it's harder to deform it and lift it. And then my bore is only like a 380 bore. So uh, I'm interested to see what it does. But then... Also, Brian Nutter at Summit was saying the stroke will light the turbos off at a lower RPM simply because it's moving uh, more volume with the stroke per RPM, I think is what he said. Don't quote me. I don't know. I mean, I think it's important to care about a lot of that stuff, but at the same time, I'm like, I could just add more boost pressure. Yeah, that's the laughable part. (laughs) I'm curious to see. I I wanted to build something that makes a ton of power, but on an average, a huge Mm -hmm. average of power. And then if it doesn't make the power I want, I can just put bigger turbos on and crack my block, rattle a sleeve, and then I'll be happy. I was like, because uh, like Firepunk did a test the other day, one of their videos, where they did a head swap. And they had, ah. it's, a big, it's a big compound turbo setup. Um, and they ran it out to, I think, like 3,800 RPMs, 3,700 RPMs, and did a head change to, like, a, I always like stuff that's named in stages. It's a stage three head and this isn't to like demean any of those uh, people that make it. It's a DNJ head. They made it's an awesome head. It made more power, um, but it made 70, 70 or seventy five more horsepower, average up between that thirty three hundred to thirty seven hundred range. Um, so I'm like, well, it made more power, but if we go back and and do the math to calculate all this stuff out, it's a that's a four percent gain in VE for what was probably Thousands. four thousand. Yeah. A lot of money for four percent gain, and four percent sounds really good. Other than four percent was seventy horse. Yeah, like I know I could we could either we could change the turbo setup on it, or change the injector out, or change the tune, or put 
more gate, you know, we could do, there's other things that could be done to kind of do the same thing. So I was like, I was like, not to be uh, rude towards putting a head on something, um, but you don't have to put the head on it like a lot of places advertise it. You get asked about camshafts all the time, like, I need a towing cam and uh, a spool, you know, like the spool cams and like the biggest drop in cam. And I'm like, they all do the same thing. Yeah, hold, like Holdener and I go back and forth about the. All the cams and all the cylinder heads are the same. If you oversize everything, you're going to get punished. But mm-hmm. most of the time, a lot of the stock stuff is fine. And then similarly, where uh, that's where, like I say, not to discount Jose and all those other guys that build class killer turbos, but mm-hmm. for the what I always say is the uh, burnouts and ice cream, people don't really give a shit about spending another two grand to make 1% more horsepower than their neighbor. Uh, $400 turbo is fine for that guy, and a class killer from Jose is fine for the guy that needs 1% on top of the guy next to him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they have different use case scenarios. Like you said, it's not that the head is bad, it's just that most people don't need to touch that at all. Mm-hmm. I said, I always kind of look at like if you're not class limited in any way, then that's the way, you know, just increase the boost pressure or and stuff like that. But if you're, that's really where that stuff comes into its own is class limited stuff so if you're limited this size compressor wheel you're limited to this size injector or this size turbo or whatnot now like a head and a cam for 70 horse or 100 horse 70 horse or even 40 horse in some of these spots makes sense you know and 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 tractor pulling and stuff it's still people will pay big money just for a different compressor wheel and turbine wheel design that's the same size if it gains you know one and a half to two percent yeah that's where force performance comes into play on a lot of his stock turbo stock size replacement turbos that still gain power from like 30 40 50 60 pounds of boost they just keep going and it's because of you know the design and all the testing and i guess i i think he said aerodynamics play a huge part like if the aero on that turbo sucks at a high speed it's just not moving air meanwhile his with the same size will continue to move air forever it'll just keep moving air yep and, and even turbos can be kind of like like cams and heads or you can actually profile wise you can give up something at 20 pounds and and like 5,000 engine speed to gain compressor efficiency up at you know at 60 pounds and 6,000 RPMs, you know, that trade-off is worthy because we don't spend any time, like a lot of the, I've heard say, we don't spend any time at 3,000. We spend all of our time up there. So it's kind of the same with the diesel stuff. It's just at a different RPM range where if you do do a head and a cam, don't expect it to do, to spool better and to do all this stuff better. Expect it to pick up some BE percentage. Yeah, better horsepower per pound, but it might actually slow you down because now the turbo has to work harder to fill the same space. Because it's larger mm-hmm. and your turbo is the same size. Yeah, well, I kind of look at it. the engine. The, everything stems from I like how like Darren Morton says it. Like everything stems from whatever the like the piston and the bore is asking for. So like yeah. the piston and the bore asks for something through a set size valve. So if you start screwing with that stuff, you're going to change the VE of the engine. And like I did the same thing with my, like my own truck. I put on a, a big port, big head, uh, yeah, big port big port, big valve head on mine. And I literally have to run uh, like a full turbo size down to get anything that resembles street drivability of the thing. Like I killed, it, it killed everything under like 2200 RPMs. And for, and for a lot of people, that's not acceptable. 
No, especially when your RPM band is as narrow as a diesel is. You just gave up most of your RPM band. Similar to where people buy a gigantic intake, like the big Holly mm -hmm. High Ram, and uh, you street drive it, and you take off your truck intake, and you put a Holly High Ram on, and now it feels gutless below 4,000. Because I did mm -hmm. that in the last three-quarter ton that I built. I always wanted to try one, but and they gave me one. So I bolted it on the three-quarter ton with the six-liter, and I'm like, where did the bottom end has just left the room? Bottom end has yeah. left the chat. Like, it, it was wild from four to 7,000, but it's a, it's a three-quarter ton truck. It lost all of its guts below four, which was just ridiculous. Like, that's all you wanted in a 5,500-plus pound truck is to get out of its own way, uh, out of yeah. a stoplight, and it lost that. And I'm like, how does a six-liter feel like such a dog down low? And that had the big turbo. Uh, that had the 8102, and my drive pressure was below boost pressure. was under 1 to 1, but it made very similar power to the 8088, which was much smaller, technically speaking, and had more uh, more than... It, it was over 1 to 1. It was like 1 and a half to 1, and you would think that eliminating that would be better, and it just didn't seem like it did much at all, almost nothing. Yeah. Well, I was like... <laughs> It just seems to be, it was, I found out through personal experience that that port velocity based off of like the valve and the piston and the port shape was a lot more important than whatever the CFM of the head was uh, for where I wanted to locate how the thing runs. And then, like I said, people, like you said, can really screw it up. In your case, at least you had a bigger turbocharger. When on the diesel stuff, you can put the, like, they'll put a head and a cam on that helps out it. Um, 3,000, 3,300 RPMs, but they have a turbocharger that went into peak torque at 2,100 RPMs. So they're all out of shape. Yeah, and that happens a lot more than... So the turbo's like nose diving right when the head mm -hmm. wants to breathe and there. It's yep. exacerbating, right? Because it wants air and it can't get it, so it's even worse than it was. Mm-hmm, yeah. Huh. Yeah, we'll, we'll make, like, the head and, the, like, a cam could probably, usually, like, a cam might pick up, like, 20 horse on that setup. Um, and even with a head, like, a better-flowing head... It probably won't do much of anything, just because the two peak points are so spread apart. Yeah, they're too far from each. At least the gas motor is more forgiving because you have such a mm -hmm. you have double at least yep. the RPM band to fix some of your screw ups. Oh well, I think we're. I mean, we're almost. We're what are we at? Four, three and a half hours, and I would say. We're out of questions, and I'm fairly tired today. And every <laughs> every Sunday I do dyno tuning, so I got to get up for that too. So I would say um, if guys in the chat want to throw some stuff down quick, uh, we'll ask it before we say goodbye to everybody. There was one that was low compression pistons and diesels. Do they just do it to sell ether? Did we go over that one or no? No. Okay, so that's a and surprisingly, I've been asked that more often than not lately. It's something that I've learned quite a long time ago, and then no one's brought it up. I almost forgot about it until someone asked about it the other day, and I was like, "Oh crap, I know the answer to that one." Um, so since we we both understand how heads and camshafts work, a lot of the cylinder fill happens after the piston is on its way back up the bore on the compression stroke. Um, while the intake valve is getting hung to, hanged open because there's so much port velocity and port energy, the, the bore will still be filling on the piston upstroke because the pressure front at the top of the piston is less than the pressure front coming through the intake track. Huh. So it'll um, push so, it back out. Well, it'll push it back out. At, at a, if you leave the 
if you leave the um, inlet valve open too long, too big of a camshaft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if now now the other thing that happens though too is if you have a higher compression ratio, we can also see that with a higher compression ratio, the pressure front on the piston is going to occur sooner. And there's only so much cam you can put in these things. So what's another way to make the cam essentially think that it's hanging the intake valve open longer is to take compression ratio or uh, piston height out of the piston. So it takes longer for the pressure front on the piston side to get to the point where it's overcoming the valve. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? So we're, we're basically making the intake side of the cam think it's bigger than it is by taking compression ratio out of the engine. Taking height out, yeah. B BK mm -hmm. goes... It's also because of cylinder oxygen density and high compression equals more heat and less air. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's like, so you can only get so much cam in these things. Like the cam, you know, the cam tunnel is only so big and there's so many things you can do. So one of the ways, once the RPM gets up high enough, that called inertia supercharging is what Darren Morgan calls it. But a lot of the, like I said, a lot of cylinder fill happens after bottom dead center on the way up. So a high um, compression ratio is going to overpower the intake valve sooner. If you lower the compression ratio, then we can get more air through the intake valve before the two want to fight each other out without having to do any stuff to the cam. The byproduct of that is they do run like crap until there's any kind of piston lit. speed in the banks. <laughs> so here's a good one. It says, what do you see as a limit of factory cast blocks, like on a Cummins, when they split the block or rip the heads off? Um, so talking to, this is, we kind of go over this a little bit, but one of my friends, a uh, power driven diesel, I want to say it's, I think it's 2,200 foot pounds torque, um, on like a 12 valve. So as long as you don't go past 2,200 foot pounds, you're in good shape on the inline six motors. Uh, I think it's 22, it might be 20, I think it's still the same on the column rail, which is the four. The four valve stuff. I think it's all around 22, 2400 foot pounds torque. So as long as you don't go over that, you can you can run pretty high. I mean, the guys that power driven, they had an engine called uh, hang hang a rack stick wide open. Um, they're not sure if it hung a rack or not, but the thing zinged all the way up, and they had a data logger on it, and they were able to see that they pulled the connecting rod bolts apart at about I think it was 8600 RPMs. <laughs> it was like so basically you can rev it that high as long as you got good connecting rod bolts. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, all this is insanity. Yeah, you, I'm going to be dreaming about all this weird info I learned today. Uh, well, I guess, I guess we'll they call always, it for now. Well, oh, yeah, well, go ahead. Uh, they always split. They typically, like the inline motors, they tend to always split from what I've read and what you'll see on online is they always tend to split like the back of the cam tunnel or right below them around the mains. Is and that the thinnest usually... part of the physical block? That's why. I think yeah. so. Yeah, when they start to get the cylinder pressures up real stupid, they always. That's why, like in truck pulling, they'll they run a cable around the nose of the head. Throw it um, over. that way. If it, yep, it throws it out the front of the thing. That's how you always <laughs> see a Cummins fail. It's just like a bread loaf falling out of the uh -huh. front end. It's mainly just. Be, I mean, I'm sure it happened at some point. It's mainly to keep the thing from falling back over on the driver. <laughs> Just like uh, Top Fuel, they have the blower straps, so it doesn't mm -hmm. throw it into the crowd or something. Yeah. Yep. Well, did I, did I bore everybody enough for long enough? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all uh, overwhelmed here. Um, yeah. yeah, so I guess uh, we'll say to everybody, we'll say thanks for joining in, and I'll say thanks for 
being on the show, I learned a lot. I learned like way more than I was expecting to, which is what I wanted to. <laughs> so thank you for having me. Oh man, yeah, I hope you had fun and everybody else had fun. Yeah. So we'll say bye to everybody and then we'll close her down. So see yeah, you guys good. later. Or I think uh, I forget who I, I don't think I have anybody. I have a bunch of people who I want to line up that are probably going to be harder. Uh, like I think I had I had Kyle Loftus, owner of thirteen twenty, say maybe. I had Garrett mm-hmm. say he would, but that guy's so busy it's gonna be tough, I think, to nail him down one day. And then I'd like to get see, I have so many people I know that like they all do fab or they all do tuning. I don't wanna just inundate six tuners in a row. It'll mm-hmm. get kind of stale. Uh Tom Nelson said he would do it, so maybe I'll try to get him on Saturday. That would be cool to get him on the hook. Yeah, uh, a bunch of people. He has, uh, he has a blower motor, small cube blower motor. I think that was doing like 800 pounds at like 2600 or something like that. Yeah, he's had some really cool stuff. He even did that uh, offshore boat engine where he held it at like a thousand horsepower for like I don't even like 60 minutes or something crazy. It just held a thousand horsepower, and uh, he's done a lot of neat stuff. And he's he's done like a lot of. I feel like. Uh, he just puts up a video of him doing, like, he doesn't do it much anymore. He put up a video of him doing, like, burnouts and just having fun. Mm-hmm. So I know he yep. would be, like, a regular guy to have on. Uh, another interesting person, you know who Iroz Motorsports is? Hank Iroz in Las Vegas? Um, uh, no, I A don't. lot of the five-cylinder Audi stuff. He's out of control okay. with that. And uh, that guy said he would do a show. Uh, a bunch of really cool people. So I'd like to get them all. Oh, yeah, Miles, Kerr. I think his name's Miles Kerr with the Integra. Like I said, a 1,300-plus uh, wheel horsepower, two-ish liter Honda. That's dumb. And then he just made yeah. it all-wheel drive now. But, yeah. You have to look up Shane T. You like his stuff. Yeah. He's a, I mean, he's a hardcore tuner, but he's also worked on some pretty crazy that Like I said, that 1.8 liter, they're running like 125 to 100, I think 125 to 130 pounds of boost on it. That's what people said, uh, Shane T. Tuning. He's like, I have all these. I'm mm. going to research Black Sheep, Ragged Edge and shane t tuning <laughs> oh yeah and then firepunk would be cool to have on not directly after mm-hmm. you for you know like i said stacking too many diesel or whatever people is whatever but yeah it's eleven thirty here what is it there like two hours three hours Eight thirty-two. Oh yeah nice thank my stuff's right all right well thanks for tuning in i said this probably three times now thanks everybody for tuning in i, I swear i'm gonna end it now in 30 seconds all right uh, see you later. Thank you. Thanks. Yep. Bye. Bye.